Welcome to another edition of the Ultimate Weigh In Show. I'm your host, Manpreet, aka MMA Lock of the Night, and your boy on social media at MMA LOT. And this week we're going over UFC London, headlined by a heavyweight fight between Tom Aspinall and his toughest test today, perennial top heavyweight. Curtis Blades. We are going to get a lot of questions answered tomorrow, and I cannot wait for it. The other part that I'm most excited about is the fact that it's an afternoon card for us over here on the EST side of things. Uh, 12 noon start, uh, 3 p.m. main card start. Uh, I, I love it. I, I can't complain. I always love uh, afternoon fights or morning fights. Uh, the PSTers, I'm even more uh, uh jealous of because the card starts at 9 a.m for them over there uh is what it is i'm totally fine with it uh i do have a barbecue to go to after not a barbecue sorry a my my cousin's uh fifth birthday party uh for his kid uh right after the card wraps up so as soon as it wraps up i'll be out of here to get on over there uh so i'm glad the card is early enough that i can catch it live and then uh head on over there to uh, support them and have fun over there but very much looking forward to a great card as well right we got 14 fights a lot of them seeming to be set up fights 10 favorites over minus 200 uh you know there is eventually going to be an apple pie shitter in there somewhere me and my guests will do our best to try to weed them out so you guys don't get caught ripping up your parlay tickets because i'm assuming a lot of guys are going to be parlaying uh some of these fighters uh tomorrow not to mention maybe parlaying them with some of the bellator fights that are going on as well uh so if you guys are tuning into those just hit the mute over there and then just listen to us as we break down this ufc london card one final time for you guys all right let's get this show on the road and to do that i'm gonna have to bring in my guest for the ultimate wayne show it's been too long since i've spoken to my guy i looked in the dms and when i messaged him to to do this i think the last time i hit him up was end of 2021 that is far too long for me to have a conversation with this man because he is too smart he is too sharp and i need to dissect his brain a little bit more thankfully i am bringing him right here to you guys of the mma engine one of the founders over there not to mention stat whiz of the MMA community, the funkiest unk that we got out there. We got my guy, Uncle Weezy, coming into the show here. Uncle, how is it going, my brother? I am doing great, man. It is an absolute pleasure to be back on your show, Locke. You're one of the first guys that had me on when I started doing appearances on YouTube, and I cannot believe it's been since the end of 2021. Are you since kidding we me, talked, right? dude, That's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I had no idea, man. So thank you so much for having me on. Thank you to the entire audience that's tuning in to us today. We got a banger of a card to break down 14 fights, and I got a ton of action on this. I love it. I love it. I have, I believe, five or six bets that I've played so far. I do have one more play that I want to put in, which will more than likely be a violence parlay of sorts because there are a ton of violent spots on this card that I want to take advantage of. But let's just take off our betting caps for one second here, and let's put on our fan caps. From a fan's perspective, Mr. Wheezy, which fight are you looking forward to the most tomorrow? Dude, I don't know. It's almost impossible to say because there are so many bangers. I mean, Herbert Nelson, as a fan, somebody's going to get their head punted into the cheap yeah. seats here. Um, Makayev Johnson, to see such a prospect like Makayev, you know, uh, debut. I mean, uh, Charles Johnson debuting against Makayev here, a really experienced five-round veteran. You know, three times he's fought for the belt in LFA, defended it twice. You know, that's a great fight. And then one of my favorite fighters on the entire roster is JSP, Jonathan Pierce. And he's fighting Mr. Finland. 
It's a great stylistic matchup. And I mean, we won't even talk about the main card, dude. I'm, I'm excited for everything here, man. But those three fights in particular are going to be fire. And they're all on the undercard. Yeah, we, we got eight undercard fights, six on the main card. So a total of 14 fights. Luckily, everybody hit their mark in terms of uh, making weight this morning, which means that we don't have any fights scratched. You know, knock on wood in case there's a bug that somebody contracts while they're trying to rehydrate. But um, yeah, we'll definitely touch on uh, the weigh-ins as we work through this card. But like I said, there's 14 fights. So why waste any more time? Let's just get into the fun side of things here, breaking down these fights for the, for the folks here. I do quickly want to say, if you guys... Do not already follow Uncle Weezy. I do have his uh, Twitter account linked in the description below. Make sure you guys go ahead and uh, with some love over there on Twitter. And then obviously give them some love over there on the MMA engine, which is obviously one of the big things that they, uh, him, uh, Brady, uh, Lou Betchy, I believe Monk Maddox is uh, on there as well. Absolutely doing phenomenal work over there. So make sure you guys go show them some love. We'll plug it once again on the back end there. But I just needed to get that out of the way because if you don't know about Unk, You'll definitely know about him after this podcast. All right. First fight of the night. We're talking about a welterweight fight. We got Nicholas Dalby going up against Claudio Silva. In terms of odds, we're looking at minus 210 now on Nicholas Dalby. Plus 180 coming in on Claudio Silva. And when I say coming in, it's because there is money coming in on Claudio Silva. As I did see uh, Nicholas Dalby closer to minus 250, minus 260 earlier this week. In terms of the weigh-ins, to me, it looked like Dalby was a little bit sucked out and dry. And it seemed like it was a tough weight cut for him. And that also you know, parlay that into that weird Instagram post that he had a couple uh, days or weeks ago, if I'm not mistaken, talking about some of the mental health issues he's going through during this training camp. You know, as a minus 250 favorite, you know, looking at things from outside of the octagon, which is something that I don't normally do, but something that we need to take into consideration for this fight. You need this guy to mine his P's and Q's for the full 15 minutes against a guy like Claudio Silva. I compare Claudio Silva to the welterweight version of Han Yaya, where he just throws absolute heat on the feet just so he can either club and sub you or get close enough to you so that he can eventually drown you get you onto the ground and then eventually find a submission their secrets out right claudio silva has a horrible gas tank which is why fighters are able to distance themselves as the fights start to go deeper into rounds danny roberts unfortunately ended up having that phantom tap against him in the third round a couple of fights ago for claudio silva but since then you know he, he's lost two decisions obviously to uh court mcgee and uh, the other name is escaping me at this James moment. Right now. Uh, James Krause. Yes, my yeah. guy, James Krause. Um, But you do see those fights kind of getting wider and wider as the fight goes deeper. But it's not to the point where people, I remember, you know, I was one of the guys as well that would always try to hammer that Krause round three or that Court McGee round three, thinking that Claudio Silva drops off enough that those guys can take advantage of that. But Claudio has shown that he just has that veteran durability that he can still stay in there, even if he's huffing and puffing hand, hands on his knees. Um, mm -hmm. I don't expect Nicholas Dalby to turn it up too much in that third round to eventually get that finish, but I do think he'll do a good enough job in terms of staying away from Claudio Silva's grappling, being the more effective and uh you know, more more active fighter as well. And that's where I expect him to really pull away in this fight. As long as he doesn't get, get caught slipping, which I'm going to be honest, Uncle, I, I don't fully trust Dalby here, which is why this fight is going to be a, a total pass for me. But from a prediction standpoint, I do still stick with the Nicholas Dalby side. I do think he'll do enough to get a, a decision victory here. Man, that price tag is a little bit a little yeah. bit too wide for me to, to have full trust. What are your thoughts on this fight? Yeah, I'm right there with you, dude. I mean, it is too wide to be betting on Nick Dalby. You know, when you're laying minus 230 or so, and earlier in the week it was even more than that. 
you want to at least be able to say to yourself, there's a good chance my guy's going to finish his opponent. You know, because if you're laying minus 230 and then you're going to let it go to the, the judge's scorecard, say Aldi Amato is going to be in the house, Chris Lee's going to be in the house. It's just not something you want to be in the habit of doing long term if you want to be a long term profitable gambler. You just don't lay juice like this on guys that are in close fights. And Dalby's never been finished at the UFC level. Claudio Silva's never been finished at the UFC level. And guess what? Neither one of these guys has ever been finished as a pro, right? So the way I'm looking at this fight is I've got a bet on the over 2.5. I think it's at minus 130, minus 135. That way, I do think this fight's going to decision. I think both of these guys are very durable. And I think both of these guys don't have an ounce of quit in them. I don't know if you saw the Nick Dalby versus um, Darren Till. Oh, God. It was in Cage Warriors. Oh, it, oh the Blood Fest. The uh, Blood Fest. Houston. Yes. Where yeah. Goddard had to stop the fight, you know, because, <laughs> because there, it was a slip and slide of blood on the canvas. That's Nick Dalby for you. You know, I mean, the guy could be bleeding like a stuck pig and he's going to still be throwing yeah. punches. And you just mentioned it about Silva. That dude can have nothing left in the tank, both hands on his knees. And then you go in to hit him and he, he swings a big overhand hammer at you, you know. So, I, you know, I don't see either one of these guys getting finished. I don't want to lay minus 225 on Dalby. But I also don't really love the plus money on Claudio Silva here. So I'm just betting the over. And I'm hoping that neither one of these guys gets finished for the first time in their career. And we see this thing go at least 12 and a half minutes. And I cash my first ticket of the night on the, on the curtain jerker. I love it. Uh, one thing that's actually been pretty prevalent with the, the curtain jerker fights has been the, the underdog spring in the upside, right? Do you have a, a specific statistic on that? Because I feel like you would. <laughs> I wish I did. I wish I did, man. You know, there's, there are certain things that I don't have, you know, and I'm yeah. working, I'm working to kind of like take some time and go back through the stats, add new things. But when we're in the stretch of a 12 week, no break, the entire summer lock of, of the UFC, we have no breaks, 12 no. straight weeks. So there's no time to do this um, behind the scenes type of stuff that I'd like to do. But um, the, the first fight, I remember a few months ago, we were, we were getting stoppages all the time. And now we're starting to see some of these underdogs come through in the first fight of the night. It seems like there's like, trends in the first yeah. part of the night that we can chase for a while and be profitable um but yeah for me this one i'm just going over on this one and you know we'll see but i'm not laying minus 225 on nick dalby here yeah no i i absolutely agree with you in that aspect and again even on the flip side i don't feel comfortable with the claudio silva side and i think that over is a very sneaky bet in this spot uh because there is a possibility that claudio silva you know what if he just gets into those positions where he just controls dalby and is able to you know squirt out eight to nine minutes of control time and that's enough for him to get the decisions uh, you don't want to be caught with that minus 250 minus 220 on dalby and lose end up losing that way shout out to our guy f-e-n-e uh, action sportscast. He's just boarding a flight and he said he got a window seat. Nice. Shout out to the window seat. I'm sure it'll be yeah. a very comfy ride for you on the way there as well. Shout out to my guy Nathan here as well saying, I wonder if Saudi Amara knows how much shit the betting community gives him LMFAO. <laughs> somebody needs to tell him. Somebody needs to whisper in his ear and just say, hey, take a look at MMA Twitter for a second and uh, just Google search your name and see what happens. Or Twitter search your name, see what happens. Yeah, we need uh, to have him do that because hopefully he'll get self-conscious and quit. <laughs> you know <laughs> that'll be great that would be great too 
All right, let us move on to the next fight. Here we got a women's flyweight fight between Mandy Baum and Victoria Leonardo. In terms of odds now, we're looking at minus 120 on Baum and plus 100 on Leonardo. I'm seeing a pick them on certain spots as well, and that's very interesting considering the fact that Mandy Baum on Bet Online opened up as a minus 185 favorite. And all this money coming in on Victoria Leonardo uh, Weezy. I'm actually going to get you to kick this one off for me, my friend. Uh, let us know why MMA Twitter continues to call Mandy Bomb, Mandy Bomb this week. Well, I, I can I can tell you for sure why. I had a I had a Mandy Bomb ticket against Ariane Lipsky, mm. right? And for every one strike that Bomb landed in that fight, Lipsky landed three. Um, you know, she, my God, if you get destroyed, you know, whitewashed. By Ariane Lipsky, you don't belong at this level, plain and simple. And while Victoria Leonardo has not looked good at the UFC level, the four losses are to Miranda Maverick, uh, Melissa Gatto, Aaron Blanchfield, and Manon Fiero. Okay? Mandy Bum would wind up in a body bag if she ever <laughs> entered the cage with any of those ladies. So, but the thing is, too, I got, I got in. I'm one unit deep on Victoria Leonardo, and I feel like I'm I'm underwater having a one unit <laughs> bet on Victoria Leonardo. But I'm considering the opponent here, and I'm also considering that Victoria is just kind of tough. She's a scrapper, you know. She's there to fight. She wanted to be out there for that third round against Gatto with a broken arm. So I think she's the kind of woman that's going to fight for your money. You know, I think she's extremely tough, and I think that now that she's getting an, an extremely huge step down in competition to go from Melissa Gatto to Mandy bum is, is a serious step down in competition. So I do have one unit on Victoria Leonardo here. I, I probably shouldn't, but since I had that bet on Mandy bum, I was so angry with myself making that bet lock that like, I didn't sleep that night. I was like, that's the worst read I've ever made. And I've made, I've had some shitty reads. Trust me. You know, we both have, you do this long enough. You're gonna you're gonna run your mouth like I did a few months ago when I said that Chase Sherman was gonna shave Fat Collier's ass and then he winds up getting <laughs> drowned in the first round. And I I mean I was ripping Collier that entire week. I looked like a complete prick. And even still, I think that the Mandy Bomb bet against Lipsky was even worse. You know, I mean she just didn't look ready. And you know the pre UFC competition not great. I wouldn't encourage anybody out there to go like jumping into the pool neck deep either side of this fight this is pretty low level um you don't want to be looking yourself in the mirror at the end of the night saying i had a ticket on whether it's leonardo or bum you're gonna feel like a bum if you don't cash that ticket on this fight so tread lightly but i just don't see mandy bum being ufc ready while leonardo might not be at least she beat uh, chelsea hackett and that was a good win I'll say this. I feel like I'm still washing the shame off myself from betting uh, Mike Rodriguez as heavy chalk against uh, Danilo Marquez. Like, I'll never forgive myself for that. And that's probably how you feel about uh, picking Manny Baum against uh, Ariane Lipsky. But hey, at least you didn't pick or play heavy chalk and then get uh, get let down the way that I did against uh, Mike Rodriguez. Um, I, I want to say this in regards to women's MMA. And I know a lot of people usually feel this way about the lower level fights, like this one being that perfect example of, you know, why are we betting this fight? Like, I feel like women's MMA just continues to get this like rap, this bad rap. And like we get this, you know, I've done it in the past where we're like, oh, 
you know, I lost this bet because women's MMA. But I feel like that's a that's a weird cop out. At the end of the day, it's still a fist fight. It's still us going out there and researching both of these fighters, taking all the knowledge that we have and putting it into you know a, a bet. And you know, I am quite profitable on the women's MMA side of things, and I feel as though it's because I've been able to read some of these lower level matchups and be like, okay, this is the spot. This is the spot the side that we should be going with. I've hit plenty of women's MMA underdogs as well because I feel like you know people just. They, they just give a woman a bad rap right off the top if they have one bad performance. And then you'll be able to get that recency bias and you'll be able to take advantage of it, right? It happens in men's MMA as well, but it's just not as prevalent because there's so many more men's MMA fights compared to how many women's MMA fights there are. So I think it's a, this this knock that people keep putting on a women's MMA. Like, I think we need to get over that and just put legitimate research into it. And if you end up losing, you lose. You did your research. You got a great number. I believe you said you got a solid plus money on Victoria Leonardo here. That was the spot in this fight, in my opinion, right? Now at evens, it gets a little bit shaky, but I still believe that Leonardo deserves to be a slight favorite. So even betting her at pick em odds, I don't think is a horrible idea. In my opinion, Mandy Baum, she needs that distance to work and have that space to work to get her combinations off, to get her striking off. But the difference between her and Victoria Leonardo's last opponent is that Gato actually had sting on her shots. Gato had purpose behind her strikes. Whereas Victoria Leonardo here, I feel like she will eat a couple shots from the outside, but I think she won't have as much of an issue in terms of crashing the pocket, getting her own shots off, or even going for a takedown, dragging the fight to the ground, and then just having a success like she did against Chelsea Hackett. I'm not expecting it to be as easy as it was against Chelsea Hackett when she got her to the ground, but we know she can do that. And she has serviceable enough striking to deal with whatever Mandy Bomb throws out there uh, with her style of striking. So um, shout out to anybody that got in on the plus money on Leonardo. I do, I do believe that was the, the play for this i wouldn't even mind anybody taking a pick em shot here on victoria leonardo either i'd put her closer to like maybe minus 120 minus 130 just because of the overall mma advantage that she has over uh, uh mandy bomb who still seems kind of raw to me right like she still is trying to figure out who she is like uh, i'll say this uh, on the tape index we have her first two fights and then we had her last two fights before she made it to the ufc and you see a vast improvement in her in terms of her conviction in terms of throwing a striking and just having an overall mma game but there are still things that she lacks in and i feel like what she lacks in is what victoria leonardo will be able to expose take advantage of and end up <clears throat> excuse me taking home uh, a victory in the spot so I don't think you should be so down on yourself for having a Victoria Leonardo bet. Shout out to our guy Brady as well, who I saw tweet out, uh, you know, ready to break out that clown uh, makeup if uh, Victoria Leonardo ends up losing here. It is what it is. You know what I mean? There's low-level MMA fights for men. There's low-level MMA fights for women. But we don't need to go to this cop-out of it's women's MMA. It's yeah. MMA at the end of the day. I yeah, wanna, and I, and I yeah, told Brady, by the way, Locke, you know, I'm like, look, man, you know, if you lose money on Victoria Leonardo, it's my fault because after that Mandy bum ticket, you know, he's kind of like my therapist. So for like the next three days, I was messaging him going, why did I bet on Mandy bum? Why didn't you talk me out of that? How could you let me do that? You know? And, and so now I think that he's heard me so, so often say so many horrible things about Mandy bum that. I talked him into the Leonardo bet. Now it's going to be on my shoulders. Should he not cage that? Should he not cash it? You know, because Brady's still a little bit on edge about losing money on Gina Mazzani. He bet cat, you know, <laughs> he, he laid chalk on her too. And, you know, I had to talk him off of the ledge, you know, uh, of his second floor apartment, 
you know, <laughs> you know I'm like, you're not going to die if you jump out of that window, bro, you know, but still don't do it. You're break gonna get hurt, you know? <laughs> so yeah, man, we, we've just got to get past, you know, the mistakes that we made in the yes. past and move forward, you know, forward looking. Exactly. And uh, shout out to my guy, Mr. Always Profit here. He goes, I hate the women, women's MMA talk. It's been profitable for me. If frustrates me, look at Krillov versus Craig. It's the same shit you see in women's MMA, but no one says it. I'll say this, though. It's not often that we see finishes in men's MMA off of their back. Craig seems to be the, obviously, we're going to talk about him a little bit later, but he seems to be the exception to the rule. And I do agree, we do see it more often in women's MMA, but that's something that we need to know going into these fights. So it's still not a cop-out, right? It's still not a cop-out that, like, they're going to get caught in a in an armbar. We know it's more prevalent in women's MMA, so put that into your cap when you're talking about fights. Yeah. And, and and consider that as well. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. We are looking at Jaya Herbert coming in at minus 280, going up against the monster and fellow Canadian Kyle Nelson, who's coming in at plus 235. Is it Kyle Nelson or, or Gurum Kutataladze that we're getting this week, man? Uh, I forgot who tweeted it out because I thought the exact same thing when I saw that picture. I'm like, that does not look like Kyle Nelson. Even the way he's built, the way he's flexing and all that stuff, the beard, all that. He's just trying to be the Canadian version of Gurum, but unfortunately for him, he fights nothing like Gurum uh, in terms of at least the effectiveness that he brings to the cage. Um, the vast majority of Kyle Nelson's win condition usually comes from that knockout uh, or, or being able to finish his opponents. Uh, Kyle fought on a couple of MMA shows uh, up here in Ontario uh, that I used to work for as well, uh, Substance Cage Combat. He beat one of my guys, Neilan Hordat, via decision, uh, and then he beat uh, another guy, actually a standout wrestler here, Ainsley Robinson. But unfortunately for Ainsley Robinson, the guy's 42 years old going into that fight. Uh, he had a significant wrestling advantage there, but he left his neck out there. Uh, Kyle Nelson was able to snatch it up and then he uh, put him to sleep there. Very wild scene as well. I'll give you guys a quick story in terms of about that fight. Um, security probably deserves a, a demotion after that because as soon as Ains Ainsley Robinson got put down, he was choked out, like completely out cold. His son somehow jumps the barrier, jumps inside the cage and goes to his father. Like what the fuck is going on? And we're just looking around Kate's side, like what the fuck is the security doing? Why the fuck is the security not in here? Like make sure this kid didn't get into the cage. Uh, but luckily, like the cage, the kid didn't have any bad intentions. He's just going out there trying to look after his father. But so it should not get to that point. Um, what I'm trying to say is Kyle Nelson is a vicious finisher when he's able to get those spots, right? We saw him finish, or actually, you saw him rock Carlos Diego Fajera in his UFC debut on short notice up here in Toronto, uh, but then it just didn't work out for him uh, the rest of the fight. We obviously saw, obviously saw Fajera get his uh, hand raised that night. Only other win, or sorry, only win, I believe, in the UFC for uh, Kyle Nelson comes to uh, Polo Reyes, who we obviously know uh, doesn't have the greatest chin, doesn't have the greatest durability, and uh, that's the reason he ended up getting uh, his lights put out that night. Uh, not a bad loss to come off of against Billy Quarantillo. We know Billy Q is a legitimate, like, threat you know what i mean when he can really drown people with his pace and his pressure he can eventually finish them late just like he did against kyle nelson um in regards to jai herbert you know he is the better fighter here there's no there's no secret right better combinations better footwork better power uh maybe not better power but um 
just better striking overall. He does a really good job in terms of putting his combinations together and putting it on his opponents. He has some, he has good finishing ability is what I should say. Uh, and I think he could do that here against Kyle Nelson, but it's just so hard to trust minus 280 with as much durability issues as Jai Herbert has and mix in the fact that Kyle Nelson has tremendous power as well. Obviously, Kyle is coming up to 155 pounds. That's been the big narrative this week. Uh, actually, there's been a couple weight changes throughout this card that we'll talk about, but this is the first of which... Um, can Kyle Nelson's power come over to 155 pounds? Well, we'll be able to find out here against Jai Herbert, who is probably one of the least durable lightweights that we have on the roster. Uh, the pick is still going to be on the Jai Herbert side, as I think he'll be able to stay away from that danger, put it on Kyle Nelson, and eventually get him out of there. But the spot that I like the most, Weezy, we, we talked about it at the top of the show here, it's just partly the, the violence, right? Like, I feel like if you just take the violence spot here and parlay with another spot, you'll probably get a good number. Minus 300 is what, what I'm currently seeing on the fight doesn't go to decision. The, the odds makers are trying to tempt you by making the widely available total the one and a half, which is currently around even money on most spots, because this fight could absolutely go over that one and a half round mark, but still end up finishing. And the odds are indicative of that, right? Minus 115 on the overall, or sorry, uh, yeah, on the over one and a half, and then minus 300 on the fight doesn't go to decision. Makes complete sense to me. But uh, I'll go with Jai Herbert. Jai Herbert, late finish. But I'm going to be going with a fight doesn't go to decision. What about you, Uncle? Yeah, I straight bet that fight doesn't go to decision for 2.6 units at minus 260. I don't hate it. Yeah, I, I mean, it. like, uh, I, I actually parlayed a couple other violence bets, that the stuff that came out earlier in the week, but I was waiting for this to drop. It dropped at minus 260, and I said, I'm not going to max bet it, but I'll just go 2.6 units here. Um, it feels like, you know, Herbert's chin is is not good, and, and Nelson swings hammers. And then, you know, you got a guy like Herbert who in four UFC fights has landed three knockdowns, three different fights. You know, I mean, the guy's got precision, speed, power, and he's chinny. He's been knocked down three times. Or uh, yeah, three times in 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 four fights. So it's it's too much, you know. I mean, like this guy is is just you know he throws hammers. His opponents are throwing hammers. People are getting knocked out here. So, um, you know, Embe just said it in the in the chat. Uh, you know, how did how is Herbert this big of a favorite when he's that chinny? You know, um, I I just couldn't lay minus two eighty on him here. Um, I'd rather lay minus two sixty on the fact that somebody's getting slept. And, you know, with Herbert, you don't have to worry about the fact that if this guy lands, his opponent's going down. And then with Nelson, too, it's the same thing. And now that he's coming up a weight class, Manpreet, you know, you think that maybe he'll have a little bit better conditioning, um, that maybe, you know, he'll be able to plant his feet and throw even harder up at this weight class. So I'm looking violence here. Uh, I even think that uh, somebody on one of my shows mentioned uh, that Kyle Nelson first round knockout is something like, really crazy wide and it might be a good way to look at this fight you know um i think it might be even be like plus 1400 or something like that which is absurd i'm seeing uh, on best fight odds i'm seeing about plus 1100 plus okay. 1000 like still a very good line for something that is absolutely possible to happen right and which is the majority of the win condition for kyle nelson yeah absolutely and you know we, we got four losses for nelson as a pro four losses for herbert as a pro and seven of those eight losses have come inside the distance so it's not just when you see guys that are finishing at a high rate when you got that combined with guys that are also getting finished at a high rate it's a great violent spot i think um stylistically you know it even buoys that position where it's like yeah man both of these guys swing hammers 
Nelson does like to wrestle. He's attempted 16 takedowns in four fights, but he's only gotten two of them. You know, so, I mean, he might try to wrestle here. He might try to, like, slow the fight down um, and, and take it into deep waters. But I don't know if he'll even be successful doing that. So, yeah, I'm just going violence here and keeping it real simple. I love it. I love it. Shout out to my guy, Fender Jazz. You're saying Herbert's kickboxing is so sharp. I think people just think of that Taporia KO, though it was brutal and too recent. Again, I believe that was in March, if I'm not mistaken. And he's coming back after about, like, four months now. We'll see. If he should have taken more time off and Kyle Nelson is absolutely a guy that can go out there and expose that as well. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. Big talks about this fight on the Twitter timelines. We got a flyweight fight between Mohamed Mokhaev going up against Charles Johnson. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 520 now on Mokhaev plus 410 on Charles Johnson. Wheezy, I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. What are you thinking here? I've already got money on Johnson, man. I got a half unit at plus 375. I've got a quarter unit on him to win by decision at plus 850. Uh, this line doesn't make any sense to me, frankly. Um, Johnson's more experienced. Johnson is bigger. Johnson's the far better boxer, in my opinion, and he's fought the far better brand of competition. Plus the fact a lot of people will say, okay, Makayev is 10 years younger. That's an advantage. I mean, it's an advantage when you're 30 and your opponent is 40. <laughs> yeah. When you're 21 and you're fighting a guy that's got 13 professional fights and has went five rounds against a killer like Carlos Motatizil, you know, when Mokayev was fighting 16-year-old kids in IMAAF, you know, uh, Johnson's going three rounds with Royval and it's close. You know, oh, man, I don't understand this line. I, I get that Mikhaev is a hell of a prospect. I get that he's already very experienced. The guy doesn't even know how to lose yet, you know. But this Johnson guy is no joke. Um, You see that Olympic tattoo on his back. A lot of people don't know what that's all about. This dude was a steeplechase runner. You know what steeplechase is? You know what? That's what I was actually trying to figure out because I'm like, okay, if he has an Olympic tattoo on his back, it's probably wrestling-based. And I couldn't find anything regarding it. What What is steeple racing? So steeplechase is long-distance running where you're you're jumping over hurdles. And then one of the hurdles has water in front of it. So you land in water. So it's like it's, like, it's just track and field. But this guy was, you know, uh, very close to being on the Olympic team for the steeplechase, which means that the guy's almost like a marathon runner. You know what I'm saying? He's... He's got that kind of conditioning, that kind of endurance. And, man, we saw it in round five against Carlos Mota Tizil. The pace of that fight between Johnson and Tizil was absolutely Insane. bonkers. I cannot believe that that guy was able to finish Tizil in the fifth round. Um, this Makayev guy is great, and he's just going to get better, and he's already very well-rounded. But we, we can't be kidding ourselves and, and suggest to ourselves that he's fought anybody – in Charles Johnson's league so far, man. Blaine O'Driscoll's good. Cody Durden's good. But, you know, we didn't learn a whole lot about Muhammad in either one of those fights. Um, this We're going to find out a lot about this guy. Um, and he he kind of pissed off Johnson at the weigh-ins there. He kind of he, He's coming in like he's 21 years yeah. old. He's yeah. doing a lot of dumb shit like I did when I was 21. <laughs> you know, I don't know how I didn't wind up behind bars at that age, but... Um, you know, he, he's got some growing up to do. He really does. And, and, uh, we're going to find out, you know, what the next step is for Mohamed Makayev. Cause in my opinion, if he goes through Charles Johnson and makes it look easy, I'm staying the fuck out of this kid's way for the rest of his rise up that ladder, because this is a serious test. I can't wait to see how he, how he deals with it. 
this fight, in my opinion, is the perfect example of like why we use percentages when we're capping fights and and you know just trying to make our own percentages in our head, see where there is perceived value and try to take advantage of it. And I feel like the people that are very much into that are on the Charles Johnson side this week because sure they might be picking Mokayev to win, but is he winning at a minus five hundred clip? That's the question, right? And a lot of people that don't see that side of the argument argue that you know we're never going to see this fight again. So why are we talking about probability? It's only going to happen once. And if it happens this one time, more than likely this guy wins. But like, we have to think more than that. That's where we get the underdog value. That's where we get people like hitting, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a fight off the top of my head where I was like, why? Oh, Josh Emmett versus Calvin Cater, right? Everybody knew that Calvin Cater was a a solid favorite there. Like he was a minus 250 favorite, if I'm not mistaken. But I believe a lot of people could have said that we know this fight's going to play out closer, so we'll probably stay away from the Calvin Cater side. No matter even if we think that he's going to outbox him from the outside, he's going to keep him at bay with his superior striking, and those big shots of Josh Emmett are going to come few and far in between. But how did that fight play out? Super close. Josh Emmett ends, ends up getting the nod there. The, the the underdog value caches. Same with Matoush Gamrat against Armen Sarukin. Same goddamn thing there. We knew that the odds were a little bit too wide for Sarukin, but hey, Sarukin's going to win, so let's just parlay him anyway. No, the fight's going to play out closer than that. Yeah. That's exactly what I think we're going to be seeing here as well. Like, Mokhaev more than likely should win, yes, but he should not be winning at a minus 500 clip. For giving me closer to minus 150 or minus 200, even on Mokayev, you have my attention. But this line is just out of whack. Charles Johnson is a legitimate opponent, as Uncle Weezy just laid out legitimate competition, legitimate experience. That last fight against uh, Carlos Mota is enough for me to see that he has what it takes to potentially pull off the upset in the spot. If his takedown defense, which is absolutely going to be tested here, if it holds up, but we need his get-up game to hold up even more because he's definitely going to be taken down in this spot. If he can work enough on his get-ups to to get this fight back into his realm where he is the more superior striker what, with the other side on Mokayev, like he is still working on his striking. His bread and butter is that wrestling. That's why you see him in all of his fights going for the takedown almost immediately. His striking is more so flash than anything right now. There's not much substance to it. It's just throwing strikes out there to be busy essentially and then eventually just looking to get this fight to the ground that's his ultimate goal charles johnson if he keeps this fight in the striking he is clearly the better striker he should be able to leg kick his way to getting on the inside and ripping more shots with his hands and his punches and his strikes uh once he closes the pocket that's where i think he has the advantage and a good snipe on your end in terms of taking the decision prop as well at that plus 800 plus 900 line which kind of parlays into my next uh bet that i think is pretty good for this is the over two and a half I do expect this fight to go the full 15 minutes, and that currently sits at minus 120. I think it's going to be a competitive fight. I don't think Mokhaev gets him out of there quickly, and Johnson, I don't think he gets him out of there quickly. I think it's going to be a slow, methodical fight, and I think that Johnson has enough chops to make that plus. I took plus 360 because I was starting to see everybody else start to hop on it, and I thought, okay, maybe people are starting to realize that this line is too wide, and I thought we were going to continue to get action on him, maybe bring him down to plus 300, but it's starting to go the other way, right? It's getting to the plus 400 mark i think he is going to look much better than that plus 400 indicates i'm taking a little bit of a shot on him here um one year shot at plus one three six plus 360 sorry is what i got uh and i feel pretty confident about it uh but before we move on to the next fight uncle there is one question that needs to be answered courtesy of our guy diehard mma podcast clint asking for your opinion on charles johnson's haircut please 
Huber, the crowd. Okay, so yeah, I've broken one of my own rules. You know, after uh, making TJ Brown my ass shaving of the week against uh, Nerd and Becca Shah Yalan, you know, I uh, <laughs> I saw him come out with that bullshit haircut, and I was like, man, that's just a bad decision. And if you can't make good decisions in the barber's chair, how are you going to make good decisions when you're in a cage in your underwear and another the guy across from you is trying to kill you, right? I love it. And then I saw Charles Johnson's haircut, and I'm like, my God, it's it's. It's it's a disaster. <laughs> it's an absolute disaster. But you know what? See, this is why I broke my own rule. If you're betting on a bad haircut and you're laying minus 200, get ready to cry that night because you're going to lose that bet. But if I'm getting plus 375, I can look myself in the mirror at the end of the night. I could say, hey, look, it was a 21% implied probability. You know, uh, you're not going to hit those. You, you hit those one out of five times, you're doing okay. So I can step back, but it is awful. His haircut is awful. I don't know what he's doing there. He's got to he's got to shore that up, man. I don't know what he's thinking. See, you're talking about like bad decisions in the barber chair, right? But like, what if it's a crazy decision and that he can bring that craziness inside the cage, right? Just got to think about it. Like, you're thinking about a glass half empty. I'm thinking about a glass half full here, right? That's that's what we're looking at. I'm not sure what the inspiration is behind the haircut. Is what it is. It's gotten him to the UFC. Let's see if uh, he'll be able to, you know, make a statement in his first UFC fight as a big underdog. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. We got a featherweight fight between Jonathan Pierce and Maquan Amir Khan. In terms of odds, we're currently looking at minus 190 for Jonathan Pierce, plus 160 to return on Makwan Amerikani. Uh, I took the juice here on, on Jonathan Pierce at minus 183. Uh, I do think he's the better fighter overall here. His grappling is definitely going to be tested, as Makwan is definitely one of the better guys. But I think it's only going to be tested for about six or seven minutes before Makwan starts huffing and puffing. Now, some people have been giving shit to Jonathan Pierce for his last performance against Christian Rodriguez. Everybody was on the inside the distance line there thinking that, oh, this kid is taking a fight on short notice up a weight class. Jonathan Pierce's size should be more than enough for him to go out there and just pummel this kid. But what I think people failed to realize that night was that Christian Rodriguez is the truth. That kid has a bright future. And when he comes back to the UFC in his proper weight class, we will see every ounce of that potential. I have no doubt about it. I think that kid has top 15 potential once he really starts to round out his skill set and get that proper training, especially now that he's aligned himself with Fright Ready MMA. Very much looking forward to seeing what he brings to the table. But I think when we, you know, two, three, maybe even four years down the road, look back at this Jonathan Pearson, Christian Rodriguez fight, we're going to be like, oh, Okay, well, we'll give you the benefit of the doubt now, JSP, because this kid is actually that damn good. JSP, when he's at his best, he's able to overwhelm his opponents, really put the pressure on him, just like he did against Omar Morales and the way that he did against Kai Kamaka. And I can see him doing a similar thing here to uh, to Makwan Amerikani, but I just don't know if he'll come right off the bat with his grappling as he usually does, right? Does he want to mix up on the ground with Makwan right off the bat? I'm not 100% sure about that. I know that he's been working his submission defense very hard here so that he doesn't get caught in one of those patented anacondas or dart strokes from uh, Maquan, which gives me enough confidence to believe that he should be able to win the rest of this fight, right? I think he's the better striker, albeit his striking defense a little bit questionable at times, but Maquan's no Israel Adesanya with his striking, so I'm not too worried about that aspect. But uh, 
I'm looking forward to the grappling and wrestling exchanges. I'm hoping that there's a good amount of them in the first, you know, five minutes of this fight because I think that JSP will be able to hold on to that cardio a lot better than Maquan start to take over. Maybe finish Maquan later in this fight, but I do think he'll probably just uh, outpoint him, take this fight via decision. But I don't mind that minus 183 line that I currently have. I'm seeing minus 175 on five dimes right now. I see minus 190 on DraftKings, minus 185 on BetMGM. I think that's a, an accurate line. And uh, I think JSP gets his hand raised once again and continues this winning streak that he's on. What do you what are you thinking here? You you like the dog a little bit more or you think JSP gets it done? I actually do have a small bet on Amir Khani first round sub here because I got it Don't at plus it. 800. But look, Jonathan Pierce is one of my favorite fighters on the entire roster. I mean, this guy is amazing. And I love people that use their cardio as a weapon. And when you have good wrestling to mix in, you know, that that's a great way to drown an opponent. And we've seen Pierce do it a couple of times. Morales, uh, the contender series fight. If you, if you really want to see somebody break, watch Billy Quarantillo on the contender series and watch Jonathan Pierce on the contender series, a masterclass in just drowning your opponent. And I, I'll never forget when I watched that interview with Pierce before the contender series fight, what he let, what he left the interviewer with was he said, I'm going to walk forward until he's not there, you know? (laughs) And, and I'm like, and then you watch the fight and you're like, Holy shit. He did exactly exactly what he said he was going to do. He walked forward until that dude wasn't there. And it was brutal to watch. Okay. So Amir Khani is a guy that is notorious for having bad cardio. And I love when I hear people say shit like, oh, you didn't hear that most recent interview of Makwan? He said he's not going out and partying all the time now. Oh, great. At the age of 32, you know, I'm sure Makwan is going to get back in the gym, stop partying, stop crushing ass, 25 25 fights into his pro career, and now he's going to start taking shit seriously, and that his cardio is going to hold up against JSP? It'd be like me saying, you know what I did, Manpreet? I I went out back and I kind of like jogged for like, five minutes and now I'm ready to race Usain Bolt. You know, I mean, it's not going to happen, dude. This guy's cardio is not going to be in the same stratosphere as JSP's. So I kind of feel like Makwan, his best win condition is to go out there when they're both dry, when they're both got all their energy and to catch JSP slipping because JSP has done that. He puts himself in bad spots and he, he puts himself there because He's never going to tap. Even if you do choke him out, you're putting him to sleep. JSP ain't tapping. He's not, he, he's going to trust his chin and he's, that works for him. That guy's got a really good chin. He trusts it. And you know, another thing that he said in that interview before the contender series fight was he talked about how he got jumped after one of his first professional fights. They beat the shit out of him. Like five different dudes, you know, jumped him outside of a fight They put him into a coma. He was in the hospital for a couple of weeks. And he said, you know, like, nobody's ever going to, you know, like, if I can get through that, nobody, there's nothing that anybody's going to do in the cage to me that's going to scare me. So I love this dude. I'm I'm such a Jonathan Pierce fan. I'm still waiting for this line to come down a little bit so I can bet him. But uh, I'm picking Pierce to win this fight. I think he's going to finish this dude late second, early third round. And I can't wait to see him do what I know he's going to do, which is just absolutely use that conditioning, that pace, that that volume to to break Makwan Amir Khani late in this fight. Well, what's the line that you got on the first round sub again? 
Uh, I think I got plus 800 on uh, Bet Online right Beautiful. when it came out. So I don't Beautiful. know if it's there anymore, but I didn't think I'd see any better than that. I love it. No, no, no. I that that is the way to to play it. If you do like the Americani side, in my opinion, uh, I just don't think he'll win outside of round one. I'd be surprised if GSP gets caught in any type of submission after round one, considering the pace and pressure I'm expecting in that first round. So, uh, yeah, not not a bad bad spot, right? A again, and there is no issue in terms of betting against the guy that you're predicting to win if you're getting the right line. And I think that you got exactly that here with that first round sub. All right. Let us move on to the next fight. We got another fight here. I believe it's, uh, yeah, at uh, Featherweight. We got the biggest favorite on the card here, Nathaniel Wood, minus 600 now going up against Charles Rosa, plus 450. Uh, Weezy, I'll let you kick this one off, man. Do you think Wood deserves to be this big of a favorite in his Featherweight UFC debut? Yeah, that's the weird thing about this one. You wouldn't expect him to be this big of a favorite coming up a weight class, but the reason that he is is because we've all seen what Charles Rose has been up to lately. You know, I mean, I, I said this on, I don't know if it was stat figures or just the tip, but I kind of feel like Rose is kind of like part of the old era of the UFC where, you know, you could be a black belt in jujitsu, fight a striker. The guy winds up in your guard and you, and you put him in a triangle and, and you win, you know, and then, but you, you watch the way that he's been fighting lately. You know, I mean, he, this guy folds like a lawn chair anytime anyone tries to take him down. He's happy to play jujitsu off his back and not even come close to getting submissions. So he's giving up so many minutes on the ground that it's really hard to bet on this guy. In addition to that, you look at the striking metrics for Wood, and they're off the charts. I mean, this guy lands so many more strikes than his opponents do. He throws so much more volume than his opponents do. And then when you just watch him in the cage, everything looks smooth. Everything looks just beautiful. The way that, the way that he's out there doing his thing. But if, when you lay that kind of juice, you have to be aware of anything that could potentially get in your way. Wood hasn't been in that cage in a minute. You know, he's coming up a weight class and he's, you know, he's facing a guy in Rosa who's more experienced than him has been around for a very long time. Um, tread lightly here, but, the thing that I saw was is that nobody's really submitting uh, Rosa, right? Uh, if you look at Rosa, seven losses at the UFC level, only one of them has been inside the distance. So I kind of feel like Wood being up a weight class, maybe the power won't translate as well. Um, there's no quit in Charles Rosa. So the way that I saw to play this was the fight goes to decision was sitting around minus 180 earlier in the week. But Nathaniel Wood, by decision was around minus 130. So I kind of feel like Rosa is such a bad minute winner. You know, he's not a great striker. He's got bad takedown defense. He doesn't really get takedowns in his own right. And Woods defending takedowns at a 75% clip. Woods grappling efficiency has been really good at the UFC level, while Rosa's grappling efficiency has been really bad. So I see Wood being the minute winner. I see this fight going the distance. So uh, Nathaniel Wood, by decision, at minus 130, made it into my greasy four-leg parlay this week. I don't mind it. Um, the, the blueprint's out there, right? Like like we said, since the Bryce Mitchell fight, it seems evident the way that you can go out there and beat Charles Rosa. Put him on his back, have good enough submission defense that you don't get caught in anything, and he should be able to grind this fight out. Like Charles Rosa is just too comfortable off of his back and just comfortable with being grinded out in those spots. Nathaniel Wood can absolutely take that advantage. 
that approach and use that to his advantage and and win this fight right i do expect this fight to play out in the striking for a little bit but i think with it getting closer and closer uh would will look to take this fight to the ground it might be one of those spots where like he strikes for the first maybe three-ish minutes and then just surprises charles Rose with a takedown grinds him out secures that round you know, rinse, repeat for the next two routes. And I think probably that's what we're going to get. My, my stomach gets a little bit queasy parlaying a minus 600. You know I mean, I, I just, it, it, it's, it's MMA at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Anything could happen. Maybe Nathaniel, what doesn't come out with any grappling and we get a closer fight. Cause Charles Rosa, you know, as much as we want to shit on him, not the worst striking either, right? Yeah. Like he has a, he has a karate style in one stance. He has a more boxing based style in a different stance. And he can use that effectively here against Wood, who's not going to have that range that he normally has when he was fighting at 135 pounds maybe he might it might take him a little while in terms of uh <clears throat> finding that range and being able to maintain the distance as well as he did down at 135 pounds but i still up on end up on the wood side uh, i think the line is a little bit crazy i think it's due to the fact that uh of the recent run of charles rosa um but i i wouldn't you know leave it out of the uh um the, the the chance that that Charles Rosa could pull off an upset, especially if Wood doesn't look to take a, a grapple heavy approach. But anybody and their blind mother could see that the best way to beat uh, Charles Rosa is just take this fight to the ground and grind it out. All right, <clears throat> let's move on. Let, to, let me just say yeah. one thing, man. Yeah, you it, you said like you know it makes me nervous when I'm parlaying minus six hundred. Dude, if it doesn't make you nervous, you don't know what the hell you're doing. You know, because like if you're parlaying minus 600 every week, you know, Jeremy O'Neill just said in the, in the in the chat, only winning bets have value. That's that's a great way to say it if, if you're cashing every damn bet. But at the end of the year, right, you go from January, you go all the way to December, and you're laying minus 400 on a fight doesn't go to decision that should only be minus 200, and you're doing that saying, hey, look, the only thing that matters is if this bet cashes, right? Well, it's not going to cash every time. And when you yeah. start laying minus 350, minus 400, minus 450, you're laying three and a half, four, four and a half units to win one. Dude, you go on a bad streak. You yeah. miss two or three bets in a row. It can ruin your entire year. So, dude, only winning bets have value. That's bullshit. <laughs> It, every bet is independent, and and that's a that's a thing in statistics that people talk about. Like if I could roll a dice a hundred times, and it's, you know I get one ninety nine times in a row, right? And you're saying there's no chance it's going to be one again. No, that that next roll is independent. It could just as easily be one as it could be six, three, or four. And it's the same thing with fights, right? Every fight is independent. Just because fighter A and fighter B are getting into the cage doesn't mean it doesn't literally have anything to do with what happened before that. But all that data that comes before that gives us a benchmark. And when we look at that benchmark and we find out what the implied probability of the betting line is in comparison to that benchmark, we can find out then, Manpreet, whether we're paying too much or whether we're underpaying. And when you have a, a sense of that value over the long term, you'll make better decisions and you will be more likely to be profitable. I like it. Like, couldn't have put it uh, better myself. That's that's what we're aiming for at the end of the day, right? Is finding that that benchmark in terms of being able to find the right spots to pull the trigger on and then eventually be profitable long term for sure. I, I'm right there with you. And I will also say this uh, as a response to my guy, Justin Villegas, in regards to all decisions are going to be on the England side if it comes to it. I did just quickly look back at the last England card that we had. We did have at least we'd get that decision over Corey McKenna, who is 
obviously from Wales, not England specifically, yeah. but she's from Great Britain. And technically she was at a hometown advantage there. Obviously it does trickle into my mind. And we'll obviously talk about it when we get to the Hannah Goldie and Molly McCann fight. But like, that is, you know, that is something that you need to keep in mind. Like the crowd's reaction to what, you know, if Molly McCann goes out there and even tickles Hannah Goldie, yeah. they're going to fucking go crazy. Right. Yeah. And yeah. if um, uh, Hannah Goldie lands the biggest strike of the fight, there's going to be a no response there. So, um, you do have to keep those things in mind, but I don't think it's like dead set that, you know, uh, yeah. they're always going to get the decision. Um, all right, let us move on to the next fight here. Um, we are going to be talking about Marty Casey going up against Amir Hadzevich. Uh, in terms of odds, we're looking at chalk on the Bone Crusher minus three eighty plus three ten. The return on Demir Hadzevich. Shout out to my guy Jay Shiffy, um, Jonah Schiffman. I believe he put out a tweet just showcasing uh, the 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 what have you done for me lately nature of the betting game in regards to Marty Casey's betting line over his last several fights, right? Uh, solid underdog to a relatively unproven Vyacheslav Borshev in his last fight, goes out there, shows off his UFC experience, shows off his total MMA game, drags the fight to the ground over 11 times and controls that fight, I believe, upwards of 12 minutes, winning that fight pretty handily. But nobody expected him to do that, or nobody thought he could do that, right? Nobody went back and looked at the other takedowns that Mark D.A.K.C. has been able to land earlier in his UFC career to suggest that he could give Borshev issues there, right? Borshev was known, he was the hot shit at the time, right? Slava Claus. Everybody mm-hmm. loves Slava Claus, right? He's going out there and body shot KOing guys like Dakota Bush, but once he takes a step up in competition against Mark D.A.K.C., he ends up falling short, right? I'm a big Mark D.A.K.C. fan, and I didn't even end up backing him there. Like, I didn't back the, the Borshev side, but I still was a little bit skeptical uh, about the line being as wide as it was that night. Uh, D.A.K.C. is a solid overall fighter. He came into the UFC as pretty much a flashy striker, right? That's one thing everybody was super excited about when he came to the UFC. Like, the Timo Pakalin knockout is probably one of the funnest knockouts that I've ever seen in my life. But, like, during that two-fight run that he was on where he beat Joseph Duffy and Lando Venata, he had this newfound love for the calf kick, which very much opened up the rest of his game allowing him to you know get takedowns where he needed to or even just open up with his hands and open up with his combinations because he had disabled his opponent so much with that lead leg calf kick that he continued to land over and over again unfortunately he ran into rafael fiziev and fiziev was like nah dog i know how to check these now you're fucked <laughs> and that's exactly what ended up happening that night i wouldn't be surprised if he actually ends up going back to the well here against hazovich who has that wide stance and, you know, really loads up on his shots and is a guy that thrives in firefights. But I think that Mark Casey will show a smart enough game plan here where he either attacks the calf kick, waits for his opportunities to strike, or drag uh, uh, or seemingly drag Demir Hadzvich into a firefight, quickly change levels on him, get him to the ground, and grind him out. It is obvious. The best way to beat Demir Hadzvich, drag this guy to the ground, grind him out. Christos Iagos landed six takedowns on him. I believe Alan Patrick, who was my lock of the night that night because I saw the grappling uh, uh, um, flaws in Demir Hazovic's game. He landed nine takedowns that night and controlled the majority of that fight. If the AKC goes back to the well with the takedowns, he could absolutely win this fight with a minus 360 implication, right? He should absolutely do that. I'm not 100% sold that he will, but I still believe even if he doesn't take that Magomed type of approach, yeah. he's still going to go out there and, and and get the get the win here. Uh, the Bosnian bomber is very durable. It's going to be tough to put him away, which is why I think this will likely go the full 15 minutes. Um, but I like D. Casey, man. I'm, I'm probably going to 
I, I might look to parlay him in this spot. I, I'm looking for that other spot, but he seems like a pretty much a, a shoe in uh, to be a solid parlay piece for this card. So give me DAKC, DAKC if you decision. What about yourself, my friend? Yeah, man, I, I cashed on DKC last time out. I think I got him at plus 170 against Slava Claus. And, you know, when I saw it in the stats, you know, uh, right now in the UFC, in 11 UFC fights, DKC is 27 of 63 on his takedown attempts. And so even if you remove the Slava Claus fight from that, right, I knew going into that Slava Claus fight that this guy had attempted something like 48 takedowns in 10 fights. And I was like, this is a this is a horrible matchup for a guy who has literally less than three years experience in, in mixed martial arts. And he's going to be facing a ton of wrestling. One of the best bets that I made this year, it was easy. It cashed easily. So um, Diakese is going up against another guy now in Hadzovic. Hadzovic has faced 35 takedown attempts at the UFC level. He has yielded 22. That comes out to a 37% takedown defense. He's getting taken down 4.04 times for 15 minutes, and he's been controlled for 36% of his UFC career. And then you look at the striking metrics, right? Hadzovich, his opponents are throwing about 1.8 more significant strike attempts per minute than, than Hadzovich is, while Diakese throws about 1.6 more significant strike attempts than his opponents do. Diakese out-voluming his opponents, Demir getting outvalued by his opponents. The, the uh, power numbers are very similar, but Hadzovic has nice striking accuracy. He has nice striking defense, but he's got that huge hole in his game where if Mark doesn't like how it's going on the feet, and I don't even know if there's much of a chance of that, right? This guy went three rounds with Fiziv and wasn't like getting his ass kicked. So if Fiziv isn't, you know, destroying this dude on the feet, you know, is Demir Hadzovic going to do that? Yeah. He could. Demir's a really good striker. Uh, you you see his fight against Medeiros, and he looked fantastic there. But Diakese, the second, the second he doesn't like how it's going on the feet, he's going to take this guy down and win minutes there. And we've seen him do it over and over again. For a guy with a pure kickboxing background to be sporting a 43% takedown accuracy, over 25% control time, and averaging 3.17 takedowns for 15 minutes, it's it's a and he's showing great fight IQ. That's the killer thing there, Manpreet. You gotta love when fighters know when to box and when they know when to wrestle. And when they're doing those things, when they're making those choices, they're they're making those choices through the lens of not whether they're gonna be comfortable, but whether their opponent is gonna be uncomfortable. And Dia Kese has done such a good job of that. I think he's a fantastic parlay piece for this week. I've got a real square four-leg parlay, and uh, Dia Kese is one of the legs of that. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I, I yeah. really don't hate it, honestly. Like, uh, Bo the Bosnian Bomber is a fun fighter. He yeah. wants those firefights, but you got to match him up accordingly. You can't match him up against a guy that's going to be taking him to the ground and, uh, you know, trying to grind it out that way. Sure, he goes for takedowns himself. It's not like he's the only guy that's just, you know... Um, uh, uh, just succumbing to takedowns. Like he took down Yancy Medeiros twice as well. Like he has that overall game, but he's just not at that level to utilize it against guys of Mark D. Casey's level, in my opinion, which is why he's such a big favorite in this spot. All right, let us move on to the next fight here. It is the prelim headliner. We're going to be looking at Ludovic Klein going up against Mason Jones. Oh, what's that? Did you say chalk again? 
Yes, sir. We got more chalk on this fight right here. Minus 390 on Mason Jones, plus 320 the return on Ludovic Klein. I'll let you kick this one off, my friend. I'm feeling like you're going with the Mason Jones side, but just tell me why you're going to be doing it. Yeah, Mason Jones is Uncle Wheezy's ass shaving of the week, man, Preet. You know, I think he's coming out there and he's going to do really bad things to Ludovic Klein. I'm And I am a huge fan of Mason Jones. This guy is super fun to watch. A two-division champion in Cage Warriors, 155 and 170. Right. And Ludovic Klein is a 145er who's been moving up to 155 because he's having a hard time making that cut. Uh, Jones, judo black belt, really well rounded mixed martial artist here. Uh, and you know what? Both of these guys are only 27 years old. So, you know, we've got room for improvement for both of these guys. I mean, at 27 years of age, Klein already has 22 pro fights. And for Mason Jones, it's 13 professional fights. In only in under five years. So this guy's fighting about three times a year right now. Very impressive, very active. And the same thing with uh, Ludovic Klein here. But we've got a Southpaw versus Orthodox matchup here. And with Klein, what you really have to watch out for is the straight left and that left head kick. And they're going to be open for business against Mason Jones here because Mason Jones is an Orthodox fighter. He's going to have his left hand going to be the jab hand. And Mason Jones has got a great jab but it's hard to use your jab to set up other strikes when you're fighting somebody in the opposite stance. But all that being said, man, I just don't like some of these things that I'm seeing from Klein. For instance, he's getting outstruck at the UFC level and he's facing guys like Shane Young, Trezano, Nate Landwehr, Devontae Smith. These guys are not uh, volume monsters, especially Trezano and Young. Um, Mason Jones is throwing 14.91 significant strike attempts per minute. And his opponents are throwing 10.53. So even though his opponents are throwing a ton of volume, Mason is, is making them look lazy with his volume. And then, you know, he's over 50% on his 21 takedown attempts. He's averaging 4.43 takedowns per 15 minutes. He's got over 36% control time at the UFC level, and he's yielding less than 3% control time. Over a 12 to 1 ratio of control time for to control time against. The control time positions in uh, Jones's fights are being controlled by Jones over 90% of the time. So you got a guy who's throwing way more volume than his opponent. You got a guy that's much nastier in the clinch than his opponent with that judo black belt. When they do get their hips close to each other, it's going to be Jones who's throwing Klein around. And then Jones is getting these takedowns at a 52% clip and out-controlling his opponents at a, almost a 12-to-1 ratio, while for Klein, he's out-controlling his opponents at a 2.5-to-1 ratio, but he's got four times as many takedowns as his opponents. So he's not quite as efficient on the ground as uh, Jones is. So I really do see Jones's pressure being a massive problem because when you go and you watch the Nate Landwehr versus Ludovic Klein fight, the first round's very close. Um, in the second round, about two minutes into that round, Nate Landwehr decides, I'm not taking another backward step for the rest of this fight. And then it's just over for Klein, right? But it's not going to take Mason Jones seven minutes to walk forward. He's going to start walking forward probably three seconds before the fight starts, and he's not going to stop until uh, Klein's done. So I think Jones is going to be shaving Klein's ass. I think he's going to get it done late inside the distance, probably late second, early third round. And he's the second leg of my very square four-leg parlay this week. I don't hate it. 
I, I really don't hate it, man. I, I'm a big Mason Jones fan. The only thing that kind of worries me is that that chin is eventually going to go. And Nick, uh, Ludovic Klein, that's one of his best weapons is his power, right? That left down the middle, that left yeah. high kick. Like, he's very um, good with, with landing those. It's just he doesn't put anything in front of it, which is why he telegraphs a lot of them, which is why guys are kind of able to get away from, from most of those big power strikes that he throws, is that he just doesn't throw a jab in front of it. He doesn't, you know, put any feints in front of it. It's more so just, I'm going to eventually land this power and it's going to knock you up. But if it doesn't, then he starts falling behind on the volume. He starts falling behind on the output, and that's exactly what would happen here with Mason Jones. Like it, against Devonte Smith, the reason he ended up winning that was just control time, right? Just pushed him up against Cage for what almost six minutes of that fight, and just was overpowering him and over uh, outmuscling him in those spots. I feel like Mason Jones is that all offensive nature kind of guy that he won't get stuck in those spots. He will dig for the underhooks. He will look to turn and 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 pivot out and get back into space so that he can get back to work. But I like what you're saying in terms of Mason Jones likely fitting this, finishing this fight late, which is why I like the fight doesn't go to the decision. I will likely be looking to use that as my parlay piece. Um, actually, it's only around minus 180. I don't even know if I need to parlay that shit. I could probably just play it straight up, maybe 1.8 units to win one unit right there on that minus 180. But I was initially thinking it would be closer to that minus 250, minus 300 range, given the type of style that Mason Jones brings to the table with his striking, right? I know he has gone to a couple of decisions against Mike Davis and David Onama, but like, those are fights where you're like, the fight doesn't go to decision could have hit at any moment here because of how many bombs these guys were landing against each other. But I think the big difference here between those fights and this one is that Klein visibly starts to slow down later in fights, especially when there's high action and high output. And that's exactly what we're going to be getting from Mason Jones here. So uh, give me Jones. Give me even Jones inside the distance, um, which is currently sitting at... Uh, Plus 100, minus 105 on certain spots. Not a bad line, but uh, just to cover that potential Klein knockout, which could happen at any moment, uh, I don't mind taking the fight. doesn't go to the decision at minus 180. So I'll go Jones, Jones inside the distance, and it seems like my guy Uncle Weezy agrees with me as well. All right, that wraps up the prelim portion of the breakdowns here. Shout out to the 130 live viewers that we currently have rocking with us on this Friday evening slash afternoon whatever you want to call it depending on where you're at in the world we appreciate you guys joining us make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe below if you haven't already and also make sure you guys check out my guy uncle wheezy his twitter is linked in the description below hit him with the follow there and even you know what go to his uh youtube page as well where he does uh, ask wheezy where you guys can uh, pretty much ask him questions and he'll be able to break it down for you guys in a thorough and educated manner like he always does all right let us kick off this main card with a 205 pound banger between paul craig and vulcan uzdemir in terms of odds we're currently looking at minus 145 now for Vulcan Uzdemir, plus 125 from Paul Craig. Interesting fight here, but I had to whip out the lock of the night stamp for this one because I love me some Vulcan Uzdemir in this spot. And I took the minus 155, not thinking that the line would get any better, but I think people got you know a little bit of a hard-on when they saw Paul Craig yelling in the face of Vulcan Uzdemir at the weigh-ins earlier today and like, oh, this guy's ultimately going to win. Because how a guy acts at the weigh-ins determines how a guy performs inside the cage, right? That's exactly what happens, right? That, that's that's how we cap fights, right, Uncle Weezy? That's right. If you win the weigh-in, it's over. 
I mean, he, I mean, I don't. I'd be surprised if Volkan even fucking shows up tomorrow. He lost <laughs> that way in so bad. He's gonna come up with an excuse and he's gonna be like, "I can't." He pooped his I pants from, from what I heard. Yeah, you know I mean, he he pooped a little bit. He sharded a little bit. He goes, "Oh my god, I didn't expect this." Uh, but no, let, let's get into the actual breakdown here, right? Like Paul Craig. Let's give him his flowers, right? Six fight on beaten streak, continues to go out there and defy the odds. Uh, you know, beats Jamal Hill as a big underdog, beats Nikita Krilov as a decent underdog there. Uh, the Mauricio Shogun Hua fight made my favorite fighter of all time tap to strikes, and that it was so hard to see uh, as a fan, but that is just a further attribution of where Shogun Hua is at in his career. But let's be honest, a lot of these spots where Paul Craig is taking advantage of the guys that are bigger favorites against him, those guys are putting themselves in those positions and they're giving up these submissions. Like Nikita Krilov, it looked like when he got subbed there, he just, you know, he's, he reached for the cheese and the mousetrap went off. Like that's pretty much exactly what that, that submission looked like, right? Uh, the, the Jamal Hill one. There were so many opportunities for Jamal Hill to get out of there and, and you know not mix it up in the grappling with Paul Craig, but he decided to stay in there and he ended up breaking his arm for his troubles in that spot. I do not believe that Volkan Uzdemir will find him in one of those spots, right? Great takedown defense. I believe the statistics show 80% takedown defense on his side. Not to mention he stuffed three or four takedown attempts from Magomed Ankalaev. Stuffed eight of nine takedown attempts from Alexander Rakic. I believe both those guys have much better wrestling games than Paul Craig. Paul leans on, you know, the 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 slippery hopefully let me try to catch you in one of these you know guard poles or one of these back takes and hopefully i can uh submit you from those spots i'd be surprised if vulcan puts himself in one of those spots to get his back taken or to get guard pulled and eventually have to tag it with paul craig on the mat i think this is going to play out on the feet i think that paul craig striking although improving is still not on the level of a you know a solid kickboxer of uh vulcan uzdemir's uh of uh, his skill set even if Volkan Uzdemir does not knock him out in this spot, I think he'll be putting together the much better combinations, more damage, being more effective with the strikes, and ultimately uh, getting his hand raised. I do think it comes by knockout, but I am not ruling out that this fight possibly goes the full 15 minutes because Paul Craig, you know, you can put him away and still get slept as we saw in that Nikita Krilov fight, right? But I think that Volkan has that uh, atomic power that he could eventually find that chin of Paul Craig, put him out, similar to how Tyson Pedro put him out, similar to how Khalil Roundtree put him out. Like, it's not impossible for it to happen. I think the Cinderella story, of which we have two on this main card, I think the Cinderella story comes to a close in London. I think Volkan Uzdemir knocks him out probably in the first or second round and gets his hand raised. Hopefully, cash in the lock the night play for me. I got five units on minus one fifty five. Again, kind of surprised the line is going down here, but I'll stick firm with my five units, and uh, hopefully, we can end up cashing some tickets come tomorrow afternoon. What do you think about this fight, Uncle? Am I too high on Vulcan in this spot, or uh, do you think he gets it done? No, I don't have a problem at all with that bet, and here's why. It seems to me like if you're going to lose to Paul Craig, you have to put yourself in the position where he's most dangerous. It's very rare that Paul is actually taking you down and then getting you into a position where, you know, he puts you there rather than you putting yourself there. Krilov put himself there. Jamal Hill put himself there. I mean, like, I remember watching that fight because I had fight doesn't go to decision. And I was like, you know, I didn't care whether it was on the ground or on, on the feet. I knew somebody was getting slept, you know, but, Jamal put himself there, and hopefully Jamal learned from that because I hear all the time people say, oh, I'm just as comfortable with my Brazilian jiu-jitsu as I am with my striking. And these people are always fucking lying. 
They're always lying, you know, because it, you see it the stats. You're like, oh, okay, this guy has attempted zero takedowns in five fights, and he's bragging about his BJJ. No, if your BJJ was that good, you'd be looking to take your opponent down and submit him. There's a reason why you don't grapple with Paul Craig, right? And you see guys like Krilov and Hill put themselves there, but I don't think Volkov Vulcan's going to put himself there. The first thing that jumped out about me jumped out to me about this fight, Manpreet, was was violence, right? You got Paul Craig, 21 professional fights, 20 of them have finished inside the distance. And then it's Volkan, 23 professional fights, 17 have finished inside the distance. So we've got 37 of these guys, 44 combined pro fights have finished inside the distance. That's 84.1%. And even at the UFC level, it's 78.3% that their fights are finishing inside the distance. 18 of 23. It's 12 of 13 for Paul Craig. And it's 6 to 10 for Volkan Ozdemir. So even at minus 300, fight doesn't go to decision, which is a 75% implied probability. These guys at the UFC level are finishing 3.3% higher than that. And as pros, they're finishing 9.1% higher than that. So we can kind of hang our hat on the fact here that either Volkan's going to be very smart and he's going to not grapple with Paul Craig at all. And if that's the case, he probably lands a big shot and knocks out Paul. Or Volkan's going to be stupid. You're going to dive into Paul's Paul Craig's guard and get subbed. But I think that some of these guys have seen this happen. They've seen this story too many times. The bear Jew paints his face, comes out there looking absolutely crazy, brave heart nuts at the weigh-ins, shows up in the cage, He's, he's, he's a scrapper. He's a fighter. He's born to do this. But you still kind of have to oblige Paul Craig. You have to because he's not as well-rounded as you think. And Brady was saying it earlier in this week. This guy's, this guy's win condition is literally getting the shit kicked out of him for three and a half minutes and then locking up a triangle. And whether it's the Ncheku fight, whether it's the Krilov fight, even the Hill fight, you know, you see that this guy is not all that on the feet. So, yeah, I like I like Volkan here. I'm surprised at where this line is going because, you know, I feel like Craig's win condition is the sub here. He's not going to take down Volkan and control him. Volkan's got 80% takedown defense. He doesn't get controlled much, you know. So I really got to believe that this should be Volkan Ozdemir. As long as he doesn't do anything stupid, he should be the minute winner here. And probably this fight finishes inside the distance. If it goes to full 15, it'll only be the second time in 22 fights that Paul Craig has seen the scorecards. Uh, not a good time for my wife to finally get home and allow the dog to bark because usually that indicates that there might be a live underdog <laughs> on the fight that we're talking about. So hopefully Alfred this time around is wrong, but uh, I'm glad that we're on the same side here. And yeah, I know my guy uh, Brady is pretty convicted on the, the Vulcan Uzmir side as well, but yeah. Hot lava, as my guy Cody Saftik was saying yesterday, I'm propping you up. Treat the floor like hot lava. Only let your feet touch it. Nothing else. Otherwise, you're probably going to get snatched up by Paul Craig. Again, uh, I don't want to shit too much on Paul Craig. He has gotten a six-fight unbeaten streak like we've been saying. He's been making it happen with everything he's been given. But hopefully Vulcan doesn't give him anything that those past six opponents have given him. All right. Let us move on to the next fight here. We're going to be talking about a women's flyweight fight between Molly McCann and Hannah Goldie. In terms of odds, we got minus 435 on Molly McCann, plus 350 to return on Hannah Goldie. I'll let you kick this one off, Weezy. What are you thinking about this line? And ultimately, what are you thinking about this fight? 
So I've got Molly McCann by decision uh, in my greasy four-leg parlay for this one. Um, you know, I really like uh, Molly. Uh, she's good on the feet. Um, she even knows to wrestle when 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 her opponent is is winning minutes in the striking. She's decent all around. She's not a great grappler, but she will use her wrestling when when she's getting outstruck. So I like the fact that she's got more than one trick in her bag here. Uh, Goldie coming up a weight class from 115 to 125. Haven't seen her since the Emily Whitmire fight. And then I think it's just really important to list the last five fights for Hannah Goldie. Emily Whitmire, Diana Belbita, Miranda Granger, Callie Robbins, Shannon Gugari. You know, not the best level of competition there. And then she's coming up a weight class, going across an ocean, fighting in front of a hostile crowd. And she's not just fighting anybody in front of a hostile crowd. She's fighting a woman that this these fans love. And why wouldn't they? You know, I mean, that performance against Luana Carolina, she beat her ass like she owed her money. I mean, that was disgusting to watch. If you had money on Luana that night, you were not happy because she didn't win a second of that fight. That was, I was pissed off that I didn't have that as my ass shaving of the week because that's <laughs> – that's how you shave an ass right there, what, what Molly did to Luana. So um, really tough to see Hannah Goldie getting a win here. Even the wins that she's gotten at the UFC level over Quitmire, you know, I mean, she, two and four, two and four, you know, uh, and Emily's got a couple of submission wins, but she's been stopped in all four of her losses. And, you know, you got Molly McCann who beat Diana Belbita when Goldie lost to her. And then she's fighting Taylor Santos, Laura Procopio. She got a win over uh, Gian Kim and then a win over Luana Carolina. And, and we've seen her fight Jillian Robertson, but that's a common opponent too. Actually, Hannah Goldie's UFC or pro debut was against Jillian Robertson. She beat her. Um, Molly lost to her. But um, Molly should be the better striker here. Um, this is going to be the only woman in the UFC that Molly McCann will ever have a reach advantage over. <laughs> She's actually got a one inch reach advantage in this fight. Last or two fights ago against Gian Kim, she was at a 10 inch reach disadvantage. And what did she do in that fight? She walked forward. She did exactly what you're supposed to do when you're at a reach advantage. You crowd the kicker. You don't let them use their reach advantage to, to hit you where you can't hit them. So, you know, I like what Molly does here. She's a smart fighter. She she makes the most of the tools that she has. And I don't really see Hannah being at a place right now where she's going to find a way to win minutes or even moments in this fight. So uh, Molly McCann in her five UFC wins only has one finish and in her 12 pro wins has five finishes. But Molly's only been finished once in four losses and Hannah Goldie has never been finished. So I think in order to get Molly from where she, I, I think she's sitting somewhere around like minus 400 lock, you know, why not just bet Molly by decision at minus 130, you know, and say that the maybe the finish was a one-off. And if she comes out there and dusts this girl like she did Luana, oh, well, you know, it's it's a parlay piece for me. It's not, I'm not going to lose any sleep, but, you know, Molly McCann by decision is the way I'm looking at this one. The, the fashion in which she got that knockout against Luana Carolina just shows you how outrageous of a of a probability it actually is of yeah. her getting a knockout. Like it requires this crazy, you know, uh, spinning. I think I believe it was a spinning back elbow that yeah. eventually landed there. Um, like how often do we see those types of finishes, especially mm -hmm. in women's MMA? But I can't stomach having Molly McCann as a minus four hundred underdog. Uh, or sorry, minus 400 favorite as a potential parlay piece in the spot, right? I do think that it's going to um, 
I do think it's going to play out a little bit closer than the odds indicate, but having the deck stacked, uh, the deck stacked against you the way uh, that uh, Hannah Goldie does have here, right? Like she's fighting uh, Molly McCann in her hometown. Uh, judges obviously might be a little bit um, skewed or biased because of how the crowd is reacting to all of the shots that Molly McCann is going to be landing here. And not to mention Molly McCann's style of just continuously moving forward and landing shots and making it look good for the judges. I get why she's the favorite, but like we can't, we can't be putting a minus 400 price tag on her. I think that is just absolutely absurd. I think this is one of those fights where we can get Hannah Goldie having that crazy output, having that crazy, um, uh, you know, that just, just, she she showed she can have output just as she did in the Callie Robbins fight on the contender series. She couldn't get as much output off against a girl like Diana Balbita, obviously due to the the, the size difference and the 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 reach difference there. Diana Diana Balbita did a good job in terms of just staying from the outside. And I see a lot of people harping on that fight, right? Like saying, "Oh, look at what Molly McCann did, and look at what Hannah Goldie did against Diana Balbita." But they took two completely different approaches there, right? Like Molly McCann, much more of a grappler, or at least was a grappler in that fight, taking that fight to the ground. Over and over again, that was a clear disadvantage that Balbita was in that in that fight. Where Hannah Goldie just tried to stick with her bed and butter, which is the grab or, or sorry, the striking, trying to get those numbers up there, and she just kept getting beat to the punch. Here, with them being the same size essentially and pretty much having the same reach, I could see it being competitive. I could see you know Molly McCann moving forward and just getting touched up from the outside as well while she's landing her own strikes. But it's all optics that the judges see right and what it's going to come down to is molly mccann moving forward molly mccann landing the shots the crowd reacting every time she lands a shot and she'll likely end up getting her hand raised from there so the the the, the prediction is going to be molly mccann and i think the best way to play it like you said is to take her to win via decision i just can't get behind it i don't know like i this whole week i've been trying to talk myself into a goldie uh play of some sort even if it's a half unit shot on her money line or a half unit shot on her to win by decision but I just can't do it. Like maybe if this was in America or something, I'll think about it. But like the deck is too far uh, stacked against her in this spot. And this is a clear setup spot for Molly. And the last thing I'll say about Molly before we move on to the next fight, the best thing to happen to her in her career, Patty motherfucking Pimlet, right? Yeah. Nobody gave a shit about Molly McCann before this. And she was always that person. You can tell by her personality. She is that person that like is begging for attention and just wants to make the most of it. Like, you know, uh, the, the way she was acting at the weigh-ins today and just getting all hyped up the way that she does and just continuing to want to keep that hype going and, like, coming out when Patty gets his win. Like, she wants that attention. She wants that shine. And Patty's the reason she's getting all of it. So credit to her, making money off of Barstool, making money off of this uh, friendship that she has with Patty there. But I think once uh, she ends up taking that L, which is inevitable, she is not going to be a title contender. You know, she is not going to be a top five fighter. She's not going to be a top eight fighter. You know, maybe she'll crack the top 10, depending on what the rest of that division looks like. Can't really remember off the top of my head here. 125, you know, maybe she could squeak into that top eight now that I'm thinking about it. But she's not getting a title shot. She's not getting anywhere near gold. They can continue to line her up as, you know, preferably as they want. But at a certain point, she's going to end up breaking there, right? She's going to fight another person that's going to take her down the way that Laura Procopio was able to, the way that Tyler Santos was able to. I don't know if Hannah Goldie will be that person though, but... Prediction will be Molly McCann, but good God, keep me away from that money line. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Let me uh, just say one thing. Yeah, you go know, for it. Go if for it, go if for it. it's a close fight, you know, and, and and Hannah Goldie gets the decision, 
those judges aren't making it out alive. You know, I mean, like they're going to get jumped right there cage side and it's going to be an absolute bloodbath. And I think the rest of the fights are going to be canceled because there won't be enough judges to staff those last fights. So, you know, we got to really hope that the London crowd doesn't get disappointed with a Molly McCann decision. Otherwise, it's going to be pandemonium. I will say this. I see my guy Vikendra in the chat here saying uh, Molly could probably, or sorry, he she could probably beat Lauren Murphy. I don't think so. I do not think so. Molly could beat Misha Tate. Maybe at this form of Misha Tate, but no way she beats Lauren Murphy. If Lauren Murphy beats Misha Tate, 100% she beats uh, Molly McCann, in my opinion. I hope that's a fight they eventually make, just so we can have this discussion a little bit further. All right. Let us move on to the next fight here. We got a couple fights left, next of which is a uh, 205-pound belt. We got Nikita Krilov going up against Alexander Gustafsson coming back to uh, 205 pounds uh, for the first time in a couple of years now, right? Last time around, we saw him uh, at uh, 265 pounds, or at least 240 pounds in the heavyweight division yeah. against Fabricio Verdum. Uh, comes up short in that fight. To me, in that fight, it looked like Gustafsson was just trying to rile himself up and get back into the ways of, you know, the winning ways of himself. Like, really, he was bouncing around a lot in that fight. And I think that was more so to try to wake himself up and just try to get into the groove, find that groove. But he just couldn't. And then ultimately, there was one minor slip up. Fabrizio Verdum ends up getting his back, ultimately transitioning to the arm, getting the arm bar, and getting the victory there. And people, in my opinion, you know, undeservedly are shitting on Gustafsson way too much for that performance. Uh, and, and ultimately, why I think he's at a plus 170, plus 180 price tag come this weekend. Based on things that I've been seeing, it looks like, um, it, it, it looks like, he's really been putting in the work. It really looks like he's been dedicating himself to getting back into the cage and getting his hand raised, right? One thing to to go back to 205 pounds, it shows that he needs to have that discipline, right? To keep his weight at a certain point, to be able to make that weight cut and then just go in there as a healthy uh, uh, a fighter. I will say this. I did think he would have looked in better shape at the weigh-ins. I thought he would have looked at better shape at the weigh-ins considering the stuff that I was seeing him post on the IG, right? Maybe he's messing with the filters a little bit to, to make him look a little bit more shredded than he actually is, but he still looks in great shape. I don't want to take away from that at all. It was just my own perception of what he was potentially going to look like this morning. If he's able to keep this fight upright, because nowadays it seems like Krilov wants to go out there and just grapple his opponents into the ground, even if it's against a guy like Paul Craig, whose only win condition is winning a, a fight off of his back, if Gustafson can stuff those takedowns, if Gustafson can get back to his feet, I think he's the better striker. And I think he can use his range and his movement well enough here to really touch up Krilov from the outside and either find that knockout or eventually get that decision victory just out from outpointing him. It all comes down to his ability to stop takedowns. And I think he will be able to. I really think he'll be able to stop those takedowns. My concern just comes from where is he really at mentally? We can He can say everything he wants in interviews. He can say everything he wants during media day, but it all comes down to how he actually performs inside the cage. I just saw my guy Clint, that nutcase, uh, <laughs> my guy Clint, uh, MMA diehard, drop four units on uh, Gustafson here at plus 170 because he has that much conviction on him, right? I talked to Clint uh, earlier this week after we finished up our deadlock podcast, and he was telling me, he goes, I'm either going to look really stupid or really dumb, but I'm going to pull the trigger here on Gustafson. But I thought he was talking about going like one or two units. I didn't realize he was going to go four units deep on him. I don't necessarily agree with that. I, I, I do think that Gustafson has a decent shot of winning this fight, but I'm not willing to go out there and wager four units to, to, to prove that fact. Yeah. I haven't ultimately pulled the trigger on Gustafson. I need to see him inside, inside the cage, and I think 
Nikita Krylov is the perfect barometer to see what kind of Gustafson we're going to be getting, especially back at 205 pounds. So if he passes this test with flying colors, I will bet him accordingly moving forward. If he loses this fight, we probably don't see him inside the cage again to begin with, considering he's already coming back from retirement. So uh, I'll take Gustafson as a prediction. I think he outpoints his way to a victory here. But this is a show-me spot for both guys even, right? Even for Krylov, right? Can Krylov use his style effectively against a guy like Gustafson? We'll be able to see that too. But prediction is going to be Gustafson. No bet for me, though. What are you thinking here, Uncle Weezy? Yeah, it's a tough one to break down, man. You know what? I, I do have money on this fight. I bet 1.7 units at minus 170 for the fight doesn't go to decision. And I'll give okay. you some numbers from my prop template for that because it's compelling. You know, uh, these guys have 61, 61 combined pro fights and 52 of them have finished inside the distance. That's 85 and it's 85.2%. And at the UFC level, it's 24 of their 32 fights that have finished inside the distance. That's 75%. But at the fight doesn't go to decision at minus 170, that's a 63% implied probability. So we're getting a nice edge there with how these guys are finishing. In addition to that, you know, Krilov has 36 pro fights. 33 of them have finished inside the distance. So just in a huge sample size for Krilov, we have over a 90% finish rate. And then we add in that we haven't seen Alexander Gustafson for two years. We, we honestly don't know where he's at. We've seen these these situations. You could take a two-year break when you're 26, and then when you're 28, you come back and you look like a completely different fighter. We saw that with Brian Ortega recently, where he took a long time off after the Holloway fight, and then he came back and he just looked like a different fighter. But he's not 35, you know? Um, Gustafson is 35 years old, and, and Krilov's only 30, you know? So Krilov's still got a lot of fight left in him at this point. So I'm not touching the money line on this one, but I do think if we if we see Gustafson looking like, you know, the old Gus, I mean, at plus 170, it's kind of like a no-brainer, you know, that that's a great bet. But we have missing information here, just a ton of missing information. And in addition to that, a little bit of a clash of styles. What if I told you that Nikita Krilov is spending about 70% of his 104 minutes in the UFC cage in control time positions for or against. This oh, guy wow. rarely is striking, actually. And then with Gus, it's about 26% of his fights that take place in control time positions. So when I see something like that, I say Krilov's more comfortable grappling, Gus is more comfortable striking, and Gus has 83.67% takedown defense as well. So I think if Gus, you know, stylistically, if we see the old Gus, that he can keep this fight standing and win minutes on the feet. I mean, I like his chances here. And we know that he's a good grappler, too. And Krilov makes mistakes. Krilov will put himself in bad spots. But Krilov is trying to finish. So instead of trying to pick a side here, I, I just went with violence instead. And I think it opened like minus 280. The fight doesn't go to decision. I got it at minus 170. Because I think that there's just some narrative um, concerns where people are like, well, you know, before the um, Craig fight, Krilov's last two fights had went to decision, you know, and um, that's why we got really good violence bet numbers on the Paul Craig Krilov fight, which was one of my biggest bets of the year. And it came through easily because they were underpricing it because Krilov was coming off of two straight decisions. So I'm, I'm signing with violence here. I just don't know where Gustafson is. But I think those narrative concerns that we have about Gustafson 
makes me lean more towards violence than this thing going the full 15. I can also lean on those career statistics for Krilov and Gustafson, not only as professionals, but at the UFC level to know that I'm not overpaying at minus 170 for violence here. One of the narratives that that is going on about this fight during fight week is this one right here by my guy, Joshua Trippin. Gus has watched. And I I feel that's a little bit unfair to him, right? Like, he's on a three-fight losing streak, yes. But, like, look at the names that he's losing to, right? Mauricio Verdum, his first strike up to a heavyweight. Before that, Anthony Smith, the fourth-round submission in a fight that, you know, he looked decent in. He did lose the first two rounds, but he won that third round. Ultimately, he did get end up submitting in that fourth round. But Smith is really starting to come into his own at that time, right? And then before that, who is it? John fucking Jones. So let's let's cut him a little bit of slack. If he loses to Krilov, then okay. Then I'll start to understand, okay. Actually, it depends on the the method in which he loses to Krilov, right? If he goes out there and gets smashed right away, okay, maybe we can talk about him being washed. If he goes out there and gets beat pillar to post for 15 minutes, okay, we can talk about him being washed. But if he has a close competitive fight and this goes the full 15 somehow and he loses a split decision, we got to... You know, say okay, maybe this was ring rust. Maybe this is just getting him back into his groove. But he's still showing some good things there. So, um, yeah, I, I like Gus at the plus money. I just don't have the balls to bet it myself. Um, but I like the. I, I don't mind the violence bet either. I, I do see it going the distance, but I don't mind that violence better either, especially considering uh, Krilov's history um, coming into this fight. All right. Let us move on to the next fight here. We got another hype train, Mr. Patty the Batty Pimblet. He's going up against uh, Jordan Levitt in terms of odds. We're looking at minus 255 on Patty the Batty and plus 215 on Jordan Levitt. Uh, Unk, I'll let you kick this one off, man. Do you think the, the hype train rolls on through London uh, right through uh, that Jordan Levitt stop? Or do you think that Levitt twerks on uh, on Patty Pimblet this uh, tomorrow night? Yeah, either somebody's getting twerked on or teabagged, and it's going to be <laughs> exciting to find out who, right? Um, but here we go. Uh, both of these guys are only 27 years old, so we can expect improvements really out of both of them. But, you know, it's a good matchup for Patty. Patty's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt, and really what Levitt does best is grapple and be tricky doing it and catch you in a web and and, and submit you. So Pimblet is a good matchup for Levitt it, just because – this is a guy who has counted on his grappling from a very young age. Patty Pimblett has a nine-year, almost a 10-year-long mixed martial arts career, and he's only 27 years old. So this kid's been getting in the cage since he was 18. While for Levitt, he didn't start till he was about 23, and he kind of comes from a grappling background. And there's a lot of things against Levitt here. First fight out of the country, and then it's going to be in London, England, against Patty Pimblett, who's probably the only guy more popular than, than Molly McCann on the entire card, you know? So you got that to deal with too. This is going to be, you know, a, a serious test for Jordan Levitt here. I have a small bet quarter unit Jordan Levitt by first round submission that I got at plus 1500. Right. Oh, wow. I feel like it's his best win condition here. If it hits, I'm up 3.75 units. If it doesn't, I'm down a quarter unit and I just move on to the next one. But um, I'm picking Pimblet to win here, but I think it'll be a little bit closer than what people think because Pimblet is not like this great minute winner. You know, he's a brawler. He's a good grappler. He can he relies on his chin in you know uh, which he's not going to have to rely on his chin in this fight. But if he's not relying on his chin, is he really in the kind of fight that we can count on him to be a big favorite here? And I'm not exactly sure about that. Levitt's very smart. You know, he's 
he's a unique dude. He's not your typical mixed martial artist. He's a thinking man's guy. You know, he's more of a chess player out there than he is like, I'm going to put my balls in a wheelbarrow and try to take your head off. You know, Levitt's thinking his way through how he wants to win fights. And I kind of feel like his conditioning isn't great. His striking isn't great, but he can win some minutes and he can certainly win moments in the grappling. So I think he's going to try to sell out for the grappling, try to get it there. If he doesn't have success, I think Patty's just going to work him as the fight goes on. You know, I'm picking Patty Pimblett to win this. I think he probably gets it done inside the distance. This is probably too much too soon for Jordan Levitt with just the narrative things that are attached to this fight. But picking Pimblett, um, I've also got Pimblett in that totally square four-leg parlay. It's Mason Jones money line, Diakase money line, Pimblett money line, and then it's going to be the under four and a half in the main event. That's the I got it at like plus 250. I threw a unit on it, super square, but, you know, I think it cashes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'd be interested to hear if you think that Levitt's got a chance to win this or how he would do it. But um, I, I, I took the shot on the first round submission, and, you know, I do think that Pimblett wins this fight, but um, I think that that's his best win condition. And at a plus 1,500, I don't hate it. I don't hate it either, right? I, I am obviously on the Pimlet side here. I'm not. I'm, I don't have no bet on this fight yet, at least. But um, I do agree with you that Pimlet will likely win this fight. But at plus fifteen hundred for Jordan's possibly, you know, best win condition, uh, plus fifteen hundred is crazy. But uh, yeah, I, I do think that this is going to be one of those spots that Pimlet doesn't really have any issues, right? For Liv to win this fight, he needs to get the grappling going. Like his striking is such weird volume that it's just like there's no spice on it. There's no crisp sting on it or anything like that. He's just throwing it out there just to throw it, just to remain active. But like it's one of those spots where I feel like Patty will happily counter those shots with his big bombs and his uh, big shots. And I think one of those could eventually find that chin of Jordan Levin and put him down here. Now I know Levin hasn't been KO'd in his career, but like, I think this is one of those spots where Patty's just going to bite down on the mouthpiece and say, yeah. fuck it. Like as soon as I land on your chin, you're more than likely going to be going down. Um, the line is, you know, skeptical to some people. I think it's accurate. Like, I don't see what threat Jordan Levitt really brings. I'm surprised Jordan Levitt even has a couple wins inside the UFC to this point. But like, this is, this is, there's reason that Patty Pimblett is going to be standing across Jordan Levitt in the cage come Saturday. There is a reason and we know why. And the odds are indicative of that. I'm expecting Patty to just go in there and, and run through this guy. Honestly, Levitt has that weird, you know, rubbery durability about him but i do think that ultimately one of those big shots are going to land from patty he's going to put him out it's going to send the crowd into a ruckus once again just like it did last time around against kazula vargas but like if if i will say this if levitt does finagle his way to get some sort of top position things could get a little bit sticky things could absolutely get sticky this could be one of those spots where levitt could control him in certain spots but like his, his striking is nothing his takedowns are god awful like I don't, again, I don't know how he is a UFC fighter, but he's keeping his spot by getting wins. So, uh, yeah, this is a perfect setup spot for Patty. He should go out there and win this. I don't hate on anybody parlaying Patty either at this number. It's clear as day, in my opinion. All right. Let us move on to the co-main event in this spot, and I'm very much looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this matchup. There's a lot of dissension amongst the masses regarding this fight. Uh, we got Jack Hermanson 
coming in at uh, I'm seeing minus 115 now, uh, minus 105 the return on Chris Curtis. Again, this is one of those fights that, in terms of the odds, it's just been inching back and forth. It's just like playing tug of war essentially with who's going to be the favorite come fight time. Because I've seen, you know, minus 105 Jack Romanson. I've seen minus 120 Jack Romanson. I've seen minus 115 Jack Romanson. And the complete opposite as well for uh, for Chris Curtis as well. Pretty straightforward fight to break down, right? This is a high-level fight for Chris Curtis to take at middleweight. He is continuing that run at middleweight since he's been taking these short-notice spots. And it's worked out for him to, uh, to this point, right? He's sprung the victory as a big underdog in his first two UFC fights. Comes out as a, you know, I believe it was a pick against uh, Rodolfo Vieira. Gets the win there as well. But at a certain point, this Cinderella story up a weight class for Chris Curtis is yeah. going to come to an end. And I think it's going to be this fight here against Jack Romanson. Um, you know, I, I spoke about the Cinderella story of Paul Craig earlier on the card. I think Chris Curtis is finding himself in one of those stories as well. The, the 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 best Cinderella story in this case, in which is like a a guy going up a weight class and then just staying at that weight class and having vast amount of success. That's Gilbert Burns. Remember when Gilbert Burns took that short notice fight against Alexei Konchenko, got that win, gave Konchenko his first ever professional loss, and then Gilbert Burns goes on to win a couple more fights and eventually gets a title shots. Comes up short in that title shot, but still manages to cement himself as one of the top 170 pounders. I think that that's what Chris Curtis is shooting for here, but I think he's biting off more than he can chew, especially against a big guy like Jack Romanson. Now, the size difference isn't you know as immense as I expected it to be once these guys faced off with each other earlier today, but I still do think that Jack Romanson will be the stronger of the two, and I think with his technical wrestling abilities, he should be able to drag this fight to the ground. Even if this fight does take place on the feet, I don't think he's completely lost there either. I think his striking is good enough to remain somewhat competitive against Curtis. I will say, obviously, Curtis does have the advantage in the striking. He's a better combination uh, a striker. Um, obviously, his body work is something to behold. But, like, you know, this isn't Sean Strickland, who's the same size as Jack Romanson, yeah. keeping him at bay with his jab. This isn't Marvin Vittori, same size as Jack Romanson, you know, being more active than him. This is a guy trying to fight a bigger man and try to, you know, implement his striking. A lot of that striking success for Chris Curtis needs to come from inside the pocket. I don't think it it will be there for him for the majority of the time, right? I think we'll see Jack Romanson be able to keep this at range if he needs to. And then when he wants to close the distance to get this fight to the match, engage in the clinch, drag this fight to the mat and then have your success from there. He's strong from on top, has great top pressure, and if he can complete those takedowns, he should be able to have success here. I see a lot of people pointing at the 0 for 20 uh, run that Rodolfo Vieira went on the takedown attempts, but these are two completely different types of grapplers, and Jack Manson is much better at getting fights to the mat than what Rodolfo Vieira has been able to do in terms of at least the level of competition they've been going against. Oh, wait, that's another reasoning as to why I'm on the Jack Manson side. Look at the level of competition he's been going up yeah. against and how it compares to what Chris Curtis has been going up against. You know, there's a reason Chris Curtis was a regional afterthought for a long time because he's a solid fighter, but like he's just when he starts to fight the upper echelon of whatever division he's at, he starts to fall short. And Phil Hawes, we know he is a flawed fighter. We know that uh, Brendan Allen, who I still don't understand why he's always a minus 300 favorite. You know, he almost fumbled the bag against Jacob Malkoon a couple weeks ago as well but still ends up coming up on the winning end. Um, he obviously fumbled the bag against Chris Curtis as well. So uh, with all that said, I, I do think that Jack will get his positions. Um, I am a little bit hesitant as to why I didn't make him a lock the night play per se. I do have just over three units on him around minus 108 to win three units. 
I, I think the grappling will be enough for him to to get this down. I know a lot of people are shitting on him, his takedown accuracy percentage of like 38%. But as much as we like to look at the stats in MMA, it's all it all comes down to the stylistic matchup you're up against. He showed great takedown defense against Adolfo Vera. Now let's see him show that against somebody who is an actual wrestler, in my opinion. So give me Jack Romanson. I think that this is a, a wake-up spot for Chris Curtis to be like, all right, let me go back to 170. This 185 run was great. I got a couple bonuses. That's phenomenal. But let me try to make a legitimate run to the title, but at my natural weight class of 170 pounds. Jack Romanson. Jack Romanson by decision as well, which I don't mind. What are you thinking here, Unc? Yeah, this is a great fight, man. And, you know, I mean, Curtis is like a superhero at this point. The, the the run that he's had coming in here, and, like, you just watch what this shit says on Twitter, and people – He's great, dude. He's like, hey, look, how the hell are you going to ever do anything in this sport if you don't take risks? Yeah, I'm flying across a pond on short notice, fighting a guy up a weight class in Hermanson who's fought champions, you know? But how am I going to gain anything unless I take that risk? So these people who are betting on Chris Curtis, I mean, I get it. it how could you find a better archetype of fighter to be like, this dude's going to fight for my money? You know, this is the kind of guy that they could have called him up this morning and be like, hey, man, can you make it to London uh, 18 hours from now to fight Hermanson? And he would have already hung up the phone before they finished a sentence to go get a plane ticket to London. So this is what's going to be really interesting about this fight. You know, does Chris Curtis, can he put those balls in the wheelbarrow? You know what I'm saying? And just say, I'm going in there. I'm going to ruin everybody in London's day. I'm going to do it again, man. I'm going to come in here and beat somebody with more experience, you know, with, with more UFC fights than me up a weight class. But when you look at the numbers, right, Curtis is getting outvolumed by his opponents while he outlands them. But Jack Hermanson's also outlanding his opponents and even at a better differential than Curtis's. Curtis, Curtis throws less volume than his opponents. Hermanson's throwing more. And then we just want to talk about the wrestling because the big number that jumps out on the page to me is, uh, Chris Curtis has had 26 takedown attempts shot against him in the UFC, and he has not given up one. He has 100% take takedown defense on 26 takedown attempts. But Jack Hermanson is not a freestyle wrestler. He's a Greco-Roman wrestler. And Greco-Roman is when you're using your upper body to get takedowns. You're using trips, throws, things like that. That works against smaller opponents. You know, that's the kind of, you know, I grew up doing judo and judo is very similar to Greco-Roman wrestling in that, you know, you don't get to shoot on somebody's legs in Greco-Roman wrestling. And the same thing goes for judo. You're never going to see a judo match where a guy goes in there for a single leg. He'd be kicked off the mat. It's against the rules, you know. So Hermanson's wrestling style is the kind of style that could give Chris Curtis problems here. And there's some narrative things, right? He's taking this fight on short notice, up away class again. There is a wrist injury that is still there. And you know how Chris Curtis is. If, if he can fight, he can. He'll, he's going to fight. He doesn't care if he's hurt or not. So it's entirely possible that one of his wrists is still compromised here. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not betting against Chris Curtis. I'm not doing that because that would be one of those look in the mirror moments being like, man, I, I, just, I just bet against a superhero. <laughs> and that's the way I feel about this guy right now. So I I don't have any bets on this fight. This is the one fight where I just couldn't find anything that stuck out. Um, and the other fight like that was Krilov Gustafson, but even then I still got to the fight doesn't go to decision. Here, I'm staying away. I'm really interested to see how Curtis performs in this spot. It is a big step up in competition, in my opinion. 
but it's not that big when you look at the last three names. Phil Hawes, Brendan Allen, Adolfo Vieira. Those are damn good wins. So I'm really interested to see how Chris Curtis handles this particular test. Um, I'm not betting against him, but I'm not putting money, uh, you know, against Curtis either. So, yeah, it's it's I'm staying away. I think Madpreet of six to eight months ago probably wouldn't have gone three, you know, just over three units deep on Jack Romanson in this spot, especially considering the odds that he's already at. But, like, I feel like my straight picks have been pretty on point over the last six to eight months, and I need to have more confidence in that in terms of putting more units on it, especially in, you know, closer line matchups here. Like, I feel pretty good about this spot, and I have that amount of confidence. Again, not to the lock of the night extent, like I have a Vulcan Uzdemir, but still enough that I feel like I need to get as much juice out of this squeeze as possible. So, um, Hopefully, I'm on the right side. I know Sharp's on both sides of this fight. Um, I'm hoping I'm the one that's on the right side of this fight. And we end up cashing this weekend. All right. That sets up, sets us up for the main event here. Once again, shout out to the 130 live viewers hanging with us on this Friday afternoon slash evening make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe drop a like or sorry drop a follow for my guy uncle Weezy as well on his twitter page you guys can just click the link in the description below so you go right to his twitter page you didn't have to type anything just click and then click again and then you just follow the man and you'll get enough insightful information from him there but also make sure you guys follow his or sorry subscribe to his youtube account as well which is uh, i believe just simply put uncle Weezy. so make right. sure you guys go check that out as well all right let us get to the main event and it is a banger of a heavyweight fight. We got Tom Aspinall taking on the biggest challenge to date. And that comes in the form of Curtis Razor Blades. Right now, we're looking at minus 140 on Tom Aspinall. That is a far cry from the plus 110 in which he opened up at, at least on DraftKings. Let me see what he opened up. Yeah, on, on Bet Online, he opened up at plus 100. But steady money coming in on Tom Aspinall since that opened up. Plus 120, the return here on Curtis razor blades it's interesting the the steps up in competition that tom aspinall has been taking over his last several fights right he comes into the ufc against jake collier starches him there shout out to my guy jake collier uh and then obviously takes a little bit of a step back against alan baudo then takes a giant step forward against andre olovsky takes a Sideways step against Sergei Spivak, then leaps forward to Alexander Volkov. And now here he is against Curtis Blades, who is arguably number two, number three guy in the world. If he gets the win here, he cements himself as a top three guy as well. I'll let you kick this one off first, though, my friend. What are you, what are you thinking in this heavyweight matchup? What are you betting? And ultimately, who do you think ends up getting their hand raised? So I've been one of these guys that over the last two fights has been betting against Tom Aspinall. I had I had him uh, I had Spivak uh, and I I just played Spivak very small because Spivak took that fight on short notice. Yeah. And then Volkov as well because I felt like Volkov you know would be an interesting striking uh, test for him and I thought that Volkov had kind of cleaned up his takedown defense since the Blades fight right. And I was dead wrong on both of those and it hurt you know because Tom looked fantastic in both fights. But the reason that I was on Volkov, the reason that I was on Spivak is you need to go back and you need to watch the Tom Aspinall fight against Stuart Keeman Austin. 
Austin is a 185 pounder. He took this yes. fight. Dig deep, Wheezy. I love it. Go yeah, man. It. 2016, this happened. So it was six years ago. But you watch a guy in Austin who's much smaller, a good judo practitioner, take down Tom Aspinall pretty much at will and win some minutes on the ground. Now, Aspinall wasn't out of his depth on the ground at all. As a matter of fact, he swept Stuart Austin in the second round, got on top and was landing some really mean ground and pound. But the ref didn't stop the fight. And it looked like Tom ran out of gas and then Stewart got on top and he finished him. Okay. So I was thinking like, you know, maybe this guy Aspinall can't wrestle. And if he can't wrestle, can he win minutes at this level? Because we know he can win moments. He's got 12 wins and they're all inside the distance. So he can sub you. He can knock you out. He's a master of winning moments. What we haven't seen is this guy go into a third round yet, right? And we haven't seen him face somebody at the UFC level besides Spivak who is going to wrestle him. And even Spivak took that fight on less than a, a, um, a week's notice, had to fly from Moldova to Vegas to get that fight. And, you know, I mean, he showed up the day before the weigh-ins and, you know, he got his ass kicked. Pretty much what you would expect for a short notice opponent against Tom Aspinall. So um, this is another one. It's minute winning against moment winning. And the minute winner is Blades. And the moment winner is Aspinall. And we have seen Tom Aspinall get taken down and controlled before. The question is that we saw that six years ago. Does it tra- Does it mean anything today? You know, and it probably does. It probably does just because Curtis Blades is such a talented wrestler. And, you know, we can look at the numbers here. 15 fights for Blades at the UFC level. And he's attempted 115 takedown attempts. He's gotten 62 of them. All right, he's getting them at a 54% clip, 6.06 takedowns per 15 minutes, and he's getting controlled less than 2% of those 153 minutes that he's been in the cage. You know, that means less than three minutes of control time in 153 that he's allowed. So he should be able to win minutes in the grappling here. He's going to be the better wrestler. While Aspinall is definitely the better submission grappler, though, um, we have to remind ourselves that while Curtis Blades does have 62 takedowns on 115 attempts and he's gotten over 52% control time, which means that he's probably spent about 77, 78 minutes in control time positions, and he's never even attempted a submission, right? So we know what Blades is and we know what Aspinall is. The best bet of the week, fight doesn't go to decision, Right. And let me give you the five-round analytics that I spent like a month combing through and, and, and just accumulating Late all this shit. And I did all the three-round fights. I did all the five-round fights. I separated them by division because these are numbers that a lot of people don't have access to unless they go out there and they do the work. And if you want access to these numbers, check out me and Brady's show on the MMA Engine called Prop Ability. Nobody's doing anything like Prop Ability right now, and it's going to give you a data-driven look into how to find value in these over-under and fight goes and fight doesn't go lines. We've got 61 fights in the heavyweight division that have been five rounds since the year 2013, and 49 of them have finished inside the distance. That's over 78%. So your benchmark is sitting right around a minus 380 for any fight doesn't go to decision bet in the heavyweight division. In addition to that, we got a guy in Aspinall who hasn't even seen a fifth round. Don't mind that. He's never even seen a third round, right? So 
you got to feel with somebody that that's got the kind of power that Aspinall has on and and the speed in his hands that he's going to find a knockout or Curtis Blades is going to find a ground and pound knockout because if we see Tom Aspinall quit like he did in the Stuart He Man Austin fight that that was only in the second round now, this fight is not seeing the scorecards my pick is going to be Tom Aspinall because one thing that I'm trying to do is pick moment winners at the heavyweight class because it's really hard to win minutes, especially for 25 minutes when your opponent is as dangerous as Tom Aspinall. And I think that Aspinall will be getting the better of the stand-up exchanges here. Um, he's younger, he's taller, um, and he's just got more power in his hands. So I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to side with the moment winning here of Aspinall, but the bet is fight doesn't go to decision. I have it parlayed with the fight doesn't go to decision for Ozdemir Craig. 2.5 units got it earlier in the week at minus 102. I love that bet. I, I'm glad that you dropped all those statistics in terms of the fight doesn't go to decision because I'm wrapped up in the under three and a half for this fight. Yeah. Uh, I got it around minus 175. Let me just quickly confirm that number. Uh, under three and a half. Yeah, three and a half units at minus 175. Uh, Plain simple, right? Aspinall either gets it done early because he does have a distinct striking advantage here and that's powered by his speed and his footwork and his ability to kind of just see shots coming and counter effectively. Uh, and, and then for Blades, obviously, if he's able to get this fight to the ground, I still believe the the jury is out on, on Aspinall's cardio, but I do think that uh, it will be tested here if Blades can get those takedowns going. And if it does come to fruition, if my suspicion and hunch is true, a lot of that coming from the fight that you had talked about with the Stuart Austin fight, um, I do think that Blades could get him out of there within, you know, before that fourth round even starts. We get an extra half round with that three and a half. But still, I, I'd be surprised if we see a round four in this fight. Um, yeah, I really think a lot of Aspinall's win condition comes early in this fight. If he's not able to get it done within the first five to six minutes, you know, I, I, I think it even comes down to maybe even three minutes. Because, like, if he doesn't find a finish within three minutes, I could see a scenario where Curtis Blades lands that takedown and starts already wearing on him and starts slowing Aspinall down. And then, you know, remember the, the, the big breath and stuff that we're getting from Tom Aspinall starting of the third or second round against uh, Andre Arlovsky, right? And Arlovsky didn't even fight that choke at all. As soon as the guy sunk it in, the guy got it right away in such a weird position up against yeah. the cage. If somebody had actually fought that, I would have loved to see how that fight turns out somebody that's going to fight it is mr curtis blades so um I, I don't have the cojones to go out there and fade a guy like curtis blades uh or sorry uh, a guy like tom aspinall considering the the momentum that he has right now the ufc seemingly sending him up in the spot here in front of his home crowd um uh, and even doubling the pay of curtis blades to go out there and take this fight uh, you know maybe there was something from curtis to be like hey you know this is essentially a lose-lose situation for me to go into this guy's hometown across the world and take this fight on, you know, not not super short notice, but relatively short notice compared to what he's used to to, to having to prepare for high-level fights or at least high-stakes high fights. This is definitely a high-stakes fight. Prediction is going to be Blades. I do think he drags him uh, down and, and puts him through the meat grinder and eventually finishes him in round three. But uh, violence is probably the best way to go to stay as safe as possible. I'm hoping I'm not getting greedy by taking the minus 175 and only taking the under three and a half. Maybe the best way to take it is the straight up fight doesn't go to decision and use that as a parlay piece or even just unload it on its straight, right? But I do think that... Uh, that, that Blades will survive that early onslaught. The only guys that have been able to knock him out are guys with godlike power, like 
Francis Ngannou and Derek Lewis. I do think that Tom Aspinall is capable of knocking out uh, Curtis Blades, but it's going to have to come with more finesse, speed, and timing than the power, the, the just grunt and, and raw power that Derek Lewis and Francis Ngannou possess. Those guys don't have to, you know, worry about timing and precision as much compared to yeah. what Tom Aspinall is going to have to worry about. So, yeah. Um, yeah, give me Blades. Give me Blades third round TKO. Uh, but under three and a half is probably the way that I'm going to go here. All right. That wraps up the full breakdown here. But there is one last thing we'd like to do on the Ultimate Wage Show. And that is get the lock of the night play slash most confident bet. As I know some people hate, we're using the word lock. Get over it, folks. It's just a goddamn word. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going with... Vulcan News of here, minus 155. I got five units on that. After that, uh, my other biggest play would be three and a half units on the under three and a half in the main event. Really, really like those spots, which is why I brought out the bag for those to try to take advantage of those lines. Wheezy, what's what's your favorite bet? It doesn't have to be a straight pick. You can choose your parlay if you'd like. What are you going to go with? Yeah, so, for, I mean, it's definitely fight doesn't go to decision or the under three and a half in that main event. It, it is just such a great spot. All the analytics love it. The the, uh, the the stylistic matchup of these two heavyweights, in addition to that, love it. Um, I've got big violence bets on Blades Aspinall, on um, Craig Ozdemir, and on Herbert Nelson. So I think you could parlay two out of those three or even all three of those fight doesn't go to decision bets. If you parlay all three of them, you get a nice plus money number on that. Um, that's the way that I'm going because I think a lot of these money lines are too blown out. And the ones that I'm confident on, like Mason Jones, like uh, DK, say they're too juiced to bet them straight. So I think you can parlay violence bets here. I think the DK say money line is a, is parlayable. I think the the Pimblet money line is parlayable, and the Mason Jones uh, money line is parlayable. But my favorite bet is that fight doesn't go to decision for the main event. I like it. I like it. And one quick stat to drop for you guys. You guys didn't know I had stats up my sleeve. Uh, five uh, favorites that are over minus 200 on this card. Or sorry, 10 favorites that are over minus 200 on this card. The last time we had double digits favorites on a card was UFC Austin, which was that Calvin Cater versus Josh Emmett card. Uh, we had 11 favorites that were over minus 200 that night and five of them fumbled the bag. So I get it. This is more of a setup card compared to what UFC Austin was. But, you know, don't get caught with your hands in the in the pot here uh, or in the cookie jar uh, trying to parlay every single one of those favorites because one of them is bound to mess up your night. Hopefully it's not... Well, Vulcan Uzdemir is actually minus 155, so I'm not worried about that curse there. But, uh, yeah. Uh, all right, Uncle, uh, I'll give you one last chance to to drop anything you want to plug here on the back end, and then I'll wrap this thing up. For sure, man. You know, you can check me out on my YouTube channel, Uncle Wheezy. I do a full card breakdown every Tuesday night, 10 o'clock Central Time, called Just a Tip. I often go live on Wednesday nights for Ask Wheezy after the Club and Sub podcast, where you can just ask me any questions about the prop template, the matchup template, any of the stats that I have in my database. You can also find me on the MMA Engine YouTube channel along with my guys DFS by the Numbers, Lou Betya, and Monk Maddox. We've got a lot of content over there, um, some DFS content, some betting content, and just a, you know an all-around good stuff. We even got an interview with Cody Brundage the Thank week you. that he beat uh, Treshawn Gore. So it was really cool to get to uh, you know interview Cody Brundage over there at Factory X. What a great guy he is. Uh, and you can also find me uh, on Pub Sports Radio every Sunday night for Stack Diggers, every Wednesday for the DFS show. The only thing left to do, my man, is to stack cash tickets like flapjacks for UFC mm -hmm. London Lock. Let's get it, man.
I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, make sure you guys go follow my guy, Uncle, and make sure you guys follow him on everything that he just plugged right now because uh, Stat Diggers is probably one of the biggest things in our community at this time. So if you're watching this show, you're probably already watching that show. But if you don't know about it, make sure you guys go check it out if you want your early fix on the fights. They got you covered. All right. Um, appreciate everybody checking out the show. Again, make sure you guys hit that like and subscribe on the way out. Uh, good luck on your bets tomorrow. I will be back for the fight day live chat tomorrow. Usually it's at 1 p.m. Eastern, but considering we have the fights kicking off an hour earlier than that, I'll be looking to go live at 10 a.m. Eastern tomorrow so you guys can hit me with any questions and comments that you guys have, you know, last-minute concerns that you guys may have going into the fights, and I'll be happy to answer those for you guys. Good luck on your bets this weekend. And Unk, I usually like to end this with a, a war somebody on the card but considering I that i got a pretty big bet on vulcan Uzdemir here we're gonna go vulcan Uzdemir. oh yeah good night and i'll catch you guys tomorrow peace out